You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. Hold on a minute, don't you think we ought to talk? What about how I'm gonna run? Sure. About how you've managed to live as long as you have. I'm gonna send you up against the best dessert. You two characters are going to talk gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. Five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. Think you can drive? Oh, he can drive. He can drive beyond the limits of the tires, the engine, the car, anything else. There's nothing I can't do with a race car. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Next week, we are getting spiritual, we're meditating in the forest, and you're making me watch a three-hour movie so join this please <laughs> we decide on all the official <laughs> ratings and rankings for every film that we cover patreon subscribers also get an auto shout out and two bonus episodes every single month which we have been doing we are in our fifth year of bonus episodes there's like 100 110 plus bonus episodes waiting oh, yeah. for you as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films which is going to uh, matter based on today's episode which you will see uh, <laughs> so if you're interested in that patreon.com slash these podcast and speaking of which we did have a number of people make the jump this week so we're gonna give them our shout outs here we had uh, lon ronson we had connor boss we had trey uh boyt we had josh don't we had reese we had kevin rubba sam muller cole hannon austin ammer mitch basham uh Krykut, uh wesley eddings uh ophir bernstein and pro color so thanks to all, all of right. you folks for signing up hope you're enjoying all of those bonus episodes we appreciate the support yes, uh, the other you. plug for the week as always is uh, apple Podcasts and and spotify yes. now spotify as well this is to you guys both the apple podcast listeners have been getting heckled for two years <laughs> spotify listeners are now also getting heckled if uh if, if you're listening to the show on either of those two platforms and i see the stats i know that you are i'm checking right now i'm looking at you scroll down to the very bottom give us a good old rating and review down there it helps us climb the ranks at itunes and find new listeners and the very last plug as always is merch if you like the poster art that uh, based out of toronto horror artist trevor henderson did for the show you can get that put on basically anything you can think of uh, a hoodie uh, a poster a uh, pen a notebook pillow blanket anything you can think of link in the description to that as well as at sleezoidspodcast.com uh but that is the intro welcome back to another week as always i am your host josh lewis and joining me also as always is my co-host jamie miller welcome back everybody Welcome. Uh, I think two weeks ago would have been the last time uh, you folks over on the main feed would have heard from us, and we would have had a uh, special guest, Oliver Leach, also known as Bakun on Twitter, on to talk about some very pulpy fictional doctors with an insane double feature <laughs> of Doc Savage, the Man of Bronze from 1975, a pre-Spielberg and Lucas attempt to revive those old uh, 
pulp uh, serial magazine comics from the 30s and 40s, but done in like a very uh, campy yeah. Adam West Batman uh, style yes. sort of like a TV production uh, adaptation. And then we paired it with exploitation legend David Dakota, who <laughs> did a little film in 1988 or 89 called Dr. Alien, which was an attempt to mix like a, a, a teen 80s sex comedy, something like Porky's, but with a crazy high concept sci fi premise about a sex ed teacher uh, who's actually an alien who turns the nerd kid into an absolute chick magnet. And uh, he grows <laughs> a little pe- uh, penis stock fleshy thing out of the top of his head and that makes <laughs> disgusting kissy noises that makes all the girls in school horny for him. Him. and he yeah. joins a punk band um, yeah, called the sex mutants i think which is a rad name yes so <laughs> if you're interested in all in uh someone uh trying a a exploitation legend and uh a gay filmmaker trying to turn the 80s sex comedy into something surprisingly heartwarming uh <laughs> instead of just uh leering and disturbing we talked about that alongside Doc Savage uh, two weeks ago over on the main feed. So go back and listen to that. But then uh, last week, we uh, we got a little we got a little sweaty. We got a little swampy. We talked uh, Lawrence Kasdan's Body Heat from 1981. Oh baby, uh, his his attempt to bring back the old school noirs like Asphalt Jungle and Double Indemnity uh, into the sort of more erotic 80s, where you have uh, William Hurt and Kathleen Turner in that film, just naked for about 75% of the film, just the wettest people you've ever (laughs) seen uh, planning a murder. And there was only one movie you could possibly pair with something like that. And that film was John McNaughton's Wild Things from 1998 (laughs) with an all-star cast, Matt Dillon, Kevin Bacon, Nev Campbell, Denise Richards. uh, Some of the best uh, writing you've ever seen in Bill any Murray. thriller. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 most, the record for the most amount of plot twists in a film, <laughs> without question, and also deeply, deeply uh, troubling uh, film to watch. And <laughs> very, very sweaty, and once again, both uh, Florida noirs that are trying to update old-school uh, film tropes and plots and bring them into the realm of something that's uh, much more icky and much more... Uh, erotic. So that was last week over on patreon.com slash Lizoids podcast for anyone interested in that episode. That was the bonus. But moving on to this week and kind of branching off of Wild Things, which we thought was a really beautiful film, the way that that uh, they shoot Miami in that film, especially the way that especially they go from like the beautiful, pristine schools and mansions and boats to just, you know, the gators rising up in the swamp to kind of get into <laughs> the idea of the reptilian uh, greedy characters in that film who are just trying to all eat each other we realized that that film was shot by one man named Jeffrey Kimball, who was a regular cinematographer for the likes of someone like Tony Scott. So many people will know there is a new Top Gun film opening in theaters this weekend, and it's been a long time waiting. It was one of the first films alongside Bond to be pushed back, I'm pretty sure, and like Black Widow or whatever it was. And uh, we've had this episode planned since then. This episode was supposed to come out in 2020. We've had this guest ready and on standby, <laughs> on the bench, waiting to be called in. 
uh, for specifically this episode, which I'm going to let him introduce. But we knew we had to have on a fellow Tony Scott head to do this episode, the former co-host of the wonderful Extended Clip podcast, Long Live the Clip, and now a movie nerd, free agent in his own right, the tall boy with thin legs himself. Mr. J.T. White. Oh, J.T., how you doing? Thank you for that lovely introduction. I am doing swell. Uh, it is uh, great to be here uh, chatting it up with you fellas. I feel like Top Gun 2 uh, getting pushed back so many times along with this episode, it just doubled the disappointment for me because there's two things that I was super pumped for, and it's like, oh, well, we're waiting a little <laughs> bit more. But um, with uh, Top Gun... Uh, of course, why not just um, double uh, the boys' time action? We got Simpson, Bruckheimer, Tony, uh, and Cruz. And uh, throwing in that in a double feature, you have something so easy just already there for you. You have Days of Thunder. Uh, two just like adrenaline-filled, macho, uh, perhaps a bit homoerotic films. Uh, that are absolutely beautiful and, uh, I don't know, such a, a thrilling time. Hell yeah. So yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Top Gun from 1986 as well as Days of Thunder from 1990. And yeah, as JT mentioned, these are both Bruckheimer Simpson productions directed by Tony Scott, starring Tom Cruise. And they are intensely masculine romance melodramas about boys and their dang toys. <laughs> they want to they wanna fuck them and, and each other. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to get into the specifics on uh, how they do that. But it, this is, episode has been a long time coming and we've uh, we've only done Tony Scott a couple of times. So it was about time we gave Tony his own episode complete and, and do the big ones because we've done you know, we've done some off kilter ones and we'll get into it when we we introduce it. But it's time to finally get into a director who's at a very special place in our in our hearts on this on this show and even when i went on extended clip i had to bring tony with me when i went there so there's a little you know it's poetry Absolutely. there's a little bit of rhyming yeah. going on there um so uh yeah let's jump into it let's do top gun it takes a lot more than just fancy flying gentlemen this school is about combat there are no points for second place you figured it out yet what's that he's the best pilot no, I think I can figure that one out on my own. Tom Cruise, Kelly McGillis, Top Gun. All right, we are talking Top Gun, the 1986 uh, military action melodrama directed by the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Scott. And this oh, is, yeah. I, I looked it up, Jamie. This is our first time talking about Tony Scott for the free listeners. So oh, wow. I, I realized we've only done Tony Scott as bonus episodes. So I went back to those bonus episodes and I was like, damn, we should, uh, we should, uh, I guess we should actually do, this is going to be the official Tony Scott episode for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, so for any, so, and JT is here for it. JT is going to give you guys the rundown. Uh, <laughs> but Tony Scott, 
I'm sure most people are, you know, at least they've, they've heard the name. They've seen a couple of the films, but he's a very well-known British film director, probably most famous for his uh, maximalist American action and sports dramas, like the ones we're going to be talking about today, As uh, but as well as things like Beverly Hills Cop 2 and True Romance, especially, and of course, his more f- sort of formally chaotic and experimental late 2000s thrillers with Denzel Washington, like Man on Fire, Unstoppable, so uh, Deja Vu, which was the film that I went on extended clip and talked with all the boys about. You guys should go check that out. Um, but he's a director who's obviously very uh, special to to Jamie and I and JT as well. And we've talked about him a few times before. Uh, the first episode I think we did was on his film The Hunger from uh, yeah. 1983, his debut film, which was this very sensual, melancholy, kind of like goth rock 80s music video update on the 70s grindhouse vampire erotic films. Uh, it had Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie and Susan Sarandon in it. And it was this very beautiful film that takes on, unlike, you know, I mean, these films are beautiful, but I will just say the film <laughs> is very uh, thoughtful and moody and deals in a lot of existential ideas about, you know, loneliness and mortality and, you know, thing has ideas ideas like you know vampirism as drug addiction way before Abel Ferreira did it with his film The Addiction which was very good and you know these romantic yearnings entwined with these yearnings for freedom and death and you know all yeah. of these immaculate compositions that turn the isolation of these vampires into these like you know modernist surfaces of sunglasses and reflections and skin and slow motion and all of these things that you know ultimately got him at the time accused of being a very flashy all style no substance kind of filmmaker which if you want to hear us take those uh critics to task you can go back and find that episode uh of us arguing that that is a very visually dynamic film it's true but it absolutely takes advantage of his background in commercials and music videos and uh it's perfect that kind of hollow surface style is perfect for these vampires who live these very flashy sort of empty uh lives that they that they have Mm -hmm. um but because that didn't perform well with audiences as we mentioned on that episode and it was also roundly criticized tony unfortunately uh kind of had to go back to doing commercials and music videos um for a little while he took the criticism of the shallowness and the crassness kind of to heart and it's kind of sad to hear him talk about it in interviews where he was just like i thought this was like a pretty cool esoteric art film um honestly (laughs) it is (laughs) and yeah and it is at every end just you know they were like nope and so he didn't he almost thought he just he wasn't going to be a feature film director until someone approached him by the name of jerry bruckheimer uh someone who was impressed (laughs) by the visual style of the hunger as well as a a car commercial that he had done which featured a car turning into a fighter jet so (laughs) that's probably more likely what bruckheimer saw and was impressed by but it's still very funny that he was like yeah let's get the guy whose only film is this very moody existential (laughs) vampire film yeah but he could turn the car into a jet so top (laughs) gun maybe it's sick it's sick um and he was apparently pretty reluctant to accept uh, to accept the gig but he finally just said fuck it and as a result we have this film we're talking about today we have top gun the uh, most commercially successful film of his career and the film that is you know largely credited with developing uh what is understood to be the scott style 
and and the Bruckheimer style, honestly, like Michael Bay would steal a lot of these same things. The orange hued skies, the telephoto lenses, the hyperactive cutting, the, you know, yeah. uh, macho romanticism that border borders on uh, kind of cornball. Uh, and it defined a large portion um, of his career, as well as many of the careers that he eventually um, influenced, because uh, it's very funny. We talked about Last Boy Scout. And but if you took Last Boy Scout and you took Beverly Hills Cop 2, you could probably jerry rig together Michael Bay's entire career out of those two films um <laughs> so and we gotta love we, we we love bad boys too on this show too so oh, yes, uh, we, we are do. very uh, kind to this specific um movement and brand of filmmaking yeah but uh maybe cool i should to, uh, oh go uh, ahead well what was cool to see um just speaking on tony scott's uh, style was like uh, like we were talking about the denzel ones a little earlier um or just mentioning them and they all start with that you know, kind of that almost fast cutting montage of people just doing their day to day routine or whatever it is that they're focusing on in the film that's at hand. Um, and with this one, it's no different. Like you have the the kind of the, the sun rising as they're getting all of the jets together. And, and then the, <laughs> the music is kind of swelling as they get closer and closer to them uh, um, setting off on the aircraft carriers. Um, into, of course, Danger Zone, which is just awesome. Um, but Loggins, uh, baby. but I just I just love that. Like it's it's very Tony Scott to just show people at work doing a good job at what they do. And uh, that's kind of the the tone setter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, I don't know. It's neat seeing this as like his first like big uh, film in this vein and just seeing the seeds of stuff. Because I, I don't know, I definitely love more of the late era Tony Scott. I mean, yeah, like me both too. of these films are great. Um, but especially something like the way he's able to create sort of like, uh, like I don't know, like kind of a gauzy like image through like radar and stuff like that calls mm-hmm. to mind like what he'll do in like Deja Vu and like Enemy of the State uh, with surveillance. And it's neat to see like, I don't know, just early on Tony... Uh, being concerned with uh, those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Crimson Tide, mm-hmm. I think, is another Scott yeah. one with, with the the radars that are in the submarines. So, yeah, I just love when he's when he's focusing on all the, the tech and people working with it, and especially when it's like analog tech. Well, yeah. And then, and then you obviously you combine because as you were talking about, you were talking about that that beginning that, you know, you see the jet engines and the tarmac mm. and the silhouettes and the refueling and they're, you know, the, the jets are taking off and danger zone. The music cue is 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 <laughs> is, is hidden. It, it's also true. very interesting that because uh, especially as JT is mentioning, too, like this is, you know, it's very, very hyper stylized and it, it probably most famous because of how hyper stylized it is like the Top oh, yeah. Gun, insane over the top. 80s pop music sensibility that it has was you know uh obviously it was it was hugely uh taken with people were blown away by it even if you know they were kind of overpowered because the material is very simple and i think even most people left the movie which i found it's also very close like until the very end uh, of course when it becomes like the big final real threat or whatever it is really just guys doing simulations for an hour and a half um and i find that so interesting because he's able to once again with his style just elevate things to make it larger than life even though we're watching like 20 year olds in school 
technically. Yeah, um, well, and, and it's interesting watching him develop the style in such a commercial setting, because he would obviously eventually bend that style in interesting ways, as JT was kind of referring to later in his career, when he had more uh, power over what he was able to do, and you know he was able to make some of the decisions and even produce some of his own films. And in this, you can definitely tell that this is a Jerry Bruckheimer to Don Simpson film, who at the yeah. time... You know, at this point, they had done the movie Flashdance, the sort of like sexy working class, all that jazz and mm-hmm. Beverly Hills Cop with Eddie Murphy. Uh, they were guys who, you know, they they saw themselves as like the guys who had the magic touch and they are like the poster <laughs> child for like the coked out Hollywood producer who, you know, was like, that's going to be a star vehicle. Yeah, Eddie Murphy, we'll, he's a star. We'll especially <laughs> get into some little details with Days of Thunder with some of the stuff they did like behind the scenes with the money that they yes. were spending and all that but anyway (laughs) yeah but they especially they liked having this very poppy sensibility to them they even marketed flash dance um on mtv and would eventually go on to do things like really really big films that everyone recognizes from that era con air armageddon so you merge the the bruckheimer and the simpsons producer model and then you throw in Tom Cruise power, obviously hot <laughs> off of his star making turn in risky business, dancing pantless to Bob Seger in like this yuppie teen sex comedy update on like, I don't know, like American Gigolo and the graduate kind of cross between each other. And at this time, too, he would also when did Color of Money come out? That was around this time, too, as Top Gun, right? Was it the same year even? Yeah, it could have been year. Same year. Okay, yeah. So he was also doing Color of Money around this time. And both films, this and Color of Money, really use his, um, take advantage of his boyishness. They want to make him very young and impassionate. And in that, in Color of Money, like, you know, he's just in love with the game versus like Newman's kind of like more hardened business, hustle oriented kind of pool player. Does he have the Um, same kind of ego driven character? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's so good. Um, He's almost too good at it. Yeah, I think this is just like to me, like the ultimate, like like what you think of as like a Tom Cruise role, and just sort yeah. of why he is like stands out as like the like a lasting like American like action hero or American star because he's just like cocky five five hot shot with like a six four personality who just like you know he's gonna like learn a little bit to bend to like uh what uh the system is telling him do, to do but uh, by the end of the film but, but he's, he's not still, gonna like, lose his swag by doing exactly it. exactly yeah. the swag <laughs> is just throughout the ego it's still gonna be Can't there. learn too much <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah well and, and that's what's funny as as jamie mentioned like this is a movie that has the reputation it feels like because of how high energy it is in terms of the way that it was shot and the way that uh, uh, the way that it sounds we'll get into the soundtrack a little later and how big it was um, like this has the reputation of being a high octane like military action drama is yeah. how it's talked about but it is like functionally it's a bunch of dudes hanging out on a naval base and like going to fancy jet fighter school for fancy little lads where they are the specialist little boys and they're very homoerotic <laughs> with each other. And he has to learn to at once be a team player, but also be a reckless individualist who is just the best and everyone loves him and respects him. And this is all based. They, they found this story out of what was a magazine article at California magazine called Top Guns, which was about two best friend fighter pilots at the Naval Air Station in San Diego uh, that went by the names Yogi and Possum. 
which is very funny. Good call, I think, on changing the name stuff on that one. <laughs> because so ours is Maverick and Goose. Goose. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yes. Um, and the thing that caught the than possum, uh, ca- I guess. <laughs> the thing that caught people's attention about that article was it's a detail of personality in both the hangout aspects of the men's lives who lived on the naval base and like spending time in classes with them that the writer did. Showering and obviously the, inc- <laughs> the incredible <laughs> technical precision of their capabilities in, in an F-14 um, jet, which the writer was actually invited to like fly in the passenger seat of and stuff. So it was yeah. very clear that that writer was given a lot of access to these things uh, as part of a look how cool and fun the military is uh, yeah, recruitment okay. article campaign. And for better or worse, Tony's film is basically true to this article in almost every respect. Yeah. And apparently oh. the uh, like it, it really helped with the military campaign. I think enrollment went up. It was like 400 percent or something like that. And they even had um, like enrollment program uh, like booths outside of certain Top Gun <laughs> openings or or premieres or they definitely got too many recruits like what percentage of those guys got into a got into a jet gun. Yeah. i would like i would like those stats <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah they didn't they didn't include that uh percentage the amount of people that dropped out after like three days <laughs> no, they were like wait this is not this is not exactly yeah, where's what the it's volleyball like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. where's the aviators and the bomber jackets and like just the high fives we, we, we can't just ride a motorcycle on the tarmac all the time. I don't understand. <laughs> yes. You did uh, it in the movie the whole time, uh, which, by the way, Tony apparently did all the time. And Jerry Bruckheimer was always getting very angry with him that Tony would just like rip around on the motorcycle when he was supposed to be shooting stuff. And they had to like at one point they had to actually like strap it down and he just like cut through the locks and kept riding it anyway. <laughs> Uh, so so th- this production, Tony describes it anyway as like intense, like a really, really high pressure thing where he was dealing with the most amount of money he'd ever given. He was dealing with someone else's material, someone else's project. And he was just a very passionate guy. He had uh, everyone who talks about working with him said that he had a very, you know, uh, kind of like daredevil attitude to the way that he shot things, which is why, you know, he got such good um, sort of results even out of material that, would, you know, could have been less than stellar at times. Like, I, I do think uh, I really like this film. And I think mm-hmm. I think JT really likes film too. And Jamie, I, Jamie, I think you like it, but you're kind of really like it. But yeah, I'm still in the. It's it's all that what I'll basically get to is like I love Tony Scott's style. I really love Cruz's just t- totally like ego driven performance um, and all of that. It's just that it's it's also got a lot of just plotting and characters that I can't really get behind yeah. personally. And that's always been hard for me in films when I can't really love it on a personal level and I just see just the style that I love. So that that's kind of where I'm at right now with, with it. But I, I mean, it's a blast. I'm not trying to take anything too much away from it. Yeah, no, I and I and I I, I totally uh, get that because this was went through so many different drafts of being uh, written and nobody knows what even the original looked like, which apparently <laughs> had a couple darker elements kind of in there. And Tony actually fought to get some of them included and eventually lost that fight. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, even he, though Tony apparently said, think, after the fact 
says that, you know, Bruckheimer made the right call in terms of making it, you know, the sensation that it was. Yeah, yeah. I think I read it was either with Top Gun or Days of Thunder. It probably would be both because it's the same producers. But he did have to battle like for certain shot setups. Like they'd say, no, this is the shot they want when he's the director. (laughs) So that seemed just bizarre to me. But, you know, I guess money talks. Well, yeah. And also, you know, like they were working directly with the Navy on this film, right? Mm, like it was yeah. very controversial mm-hmm. just for doing oh, that, right. like so to get access to the jets yep. and get to the character, the carriers to shoot. Uh, the screenplay was essentially rewritten and scrubbed of any possible even like not even like unglamorous, like just even like a realistic depiction of like the Navy or the Navy milieu, like, yeah, like things like uh, basic relationships or right. guys swearing <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is uh, like, you know, I, I've seen a, a couple interviews with with soldiers and stuff like swearing is 100 percent something that they do all of the time. Although I will be honest that 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 aspect of it doesn't bother me that much only because sure. it just makes this even more hilarious to me as like these are just the specialist little boys who get to go to the special school that yeah, doesn't exist. Especially when they're like, like, singing talk tough and they're, they're not even able to say like fuck or shit. It's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they're just sweethearts singing you've lost that love and feeling. Like, they don't uh, yeah. they don't have a bad bone in their body. <laughs> they're doing little show tunes, little dances. Yeah, and the, like the, 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 the uh, farthest they get to being vulgar is talking about their Johnsons and their hard-ons, <laughs> which are mostly related just to the job. Yeah, yeah. And, and they do <laughs> and that thing other. where they have, uh, it's the relationship between Charlie and Cole. Um, or not Cole, that's uh, Days of Thunder. Um uh, Maverick. I, I can't remember his actual name because he only insists uh, Pete, on introducing Pete Mitchell. himself as Maverick. Pete Mitchell. But he <laughs> yeah. is, yes, Maverick. Tom Cruise's character in the film. Yeah. yeah. And they, uh, the Navy didn't want them to actually be, like, she. they didn't want her to be a someone that's actually in the Navy. She had to be a separate contractor because of the inter- personal relationships they're not allowed to have and it's just like mm-hmm. well that wouldn't that just further complicate things that would create more drama and that'd be good for the film i think so yeah there were some just odd decisions they'd have to make for the for the navy yeah just just to make sure that that, that they looked good and everyone could tell even in the script writing stage that, that was what it looked like like matthew modine famously turned this film down because he was right. like yeah this is very clearly a commercial for the navy and you know it's not that interested in in the characters and and also they partially did it because you know uh they i like that they admit it in the text but like these mm-hmm. jets just cost so much money and everything they're doing with them is so pointless like they're basically useless uh they're right. teaching them aerial dogfighting which isn't even a form of combat that anyone was doing in 1986 <laughs> and they're literally in the text they admit they're like yeah so we're gonna train the top one percent how to do it just in case just in case <laughs> you know Afghanistan somehow they got the military budget to you know make a 30 million dollar plane which would never happen yeah. and they, but they were like just in case we need to have these all these wonderful little horny boys who know how to fly and fight this way and so we're going to do a series of pointless war game situations where there's like very little stakes <laughs> and at the end of it we're going to have the uh, most homoerotic dog fighting crew you've ever seen. And they are they're ready for what's next. Yeah, and, you know, nameless villain. You don't know what country it is, who the hostiles <laughs> are. The the plane that they even fight against is like a fictional plane that they had to make up for the movie. And they moved it They were, I think they were going to do it in uh, Cuban waters. But then they went to international waters. so They could make it completely ambiguous. It was just like some people are trying to get our ships in international. 
international waters. Let's go kill them. So in a way, I think that's probably better, I, I guess. But um, it, it does make it a little less tense and interesting. And it, it, it's absolutely saying nothing, really. It's just like a threat that needs to yeah. be taken out, which, you know. Yeah. So, so, so all of your combat scenes, which are like the majority uh, of the film and they're well shot, the aviation sequences. I mean, there's oh, yeah. a couple limitations of the time that make mm-hmm. them, I find sometimes a little geographically confusing, which is mostly just Definitely. the fact that it's really hard to shoot moving jets on like just a long lens from down below. Cause like, you know, they, 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 they couldn't have. Yeah, exactly. Because of all the have, different ones and who's doing what maneuvers from inside the cockpit. And, you know, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. Because most of the time it's just like it's it's another gray jet. And then the, the what you can <laughs> do is basically show the jet and then show that uh, the next the next shot will be the pilot in the cockpit. And that's like the best you can do to kind of get a sense of where everybody's at. But it, it does get a little bit difficult, especially when it comes to like four planes at the same time uh, and, and all of that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's just it is what's interesting is like like that's obviously a limitation, especially of the time, uh, because like they just they couldn't get the kind of cameras they used into the cockpit of those jets. Like it just it right, was not big. physically possible, you know, like and they, they couldn't like fly another one. And, you know, uh, because these things cost the money that they did, they weren't going to have like a cameraman in the passenger seat of another one shooting or, so. you know, like it just it didn't make mm-hmm. any sense. So he has to shoot them mostly on long lens, medium shots of the planes kind of like flying around. But he does his best to try to like put some detail and some uh, sort of dynamicism into the frame throwing like some mountains in the background uh, the clouds help a lot when he gets to those in the frame to kind of show you um what it is that you're doing um they have a desert and, sequence too that kind of looks cool i do like that mm-hmm yeah, yeah. And w- what's interesting is that like you basically have those sequences and they are tied to a dueling romance, two competing romance <laughs> films that plays, the one between yes. the homies and their jobs in school. Um and then the one with Kelly McGillis's character uh who is named Charlie. And they even gave her, it's so funny that they gave her a guy's name too. <laughs> and at one point she, she literally puts on the Val Kilmer outfit with the aviators and the bomber jacket and everything too. It's, it's very funny. Uh, and her, her subplot is entirely in the film to reassure the audiences that this is not a gay movie. Yes. Yeah, don't worry. It's, don't worry. Yeah. They're straight. There's a broad here. Like, it's okay. Like, calm down. Yeah. yeah. And, they're and it's kiss. the most unconvincing part of the film. <laughs> <laughs> because the, all all they do is have them stare and make googly eyes at each other, um, which he also does with all the male actors in the film. Like it's not any different. It's not shot any differently I other also, than you know I mean, the I big think, sex like, the, scene. Maybe the staging and framing of Val Kimmer, Kilmer and Tom Cruise is like even closer than Cruise ever gets to Charlie. It is. It too. <laughs> oh yeah, like the first time they see each other when in he class, bites, he's like. Look. Yeah, or oh, the, yeah, bite, yeah. the bite is ferocious. Yeah, that is wild. But yeah. the the, uh, the one where they're in class and they just kind of look at each other and Val Kilmer does a little eyebrow raise and then uh, Cruz just does some of the best eye acting I've ever seen where he's just like, oh, who's that guy? Oh, all right. It starts rubbing his chin. Like they're, they're, right away they establish like a uh, competitive intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, great. Yeah, and, and And it's funny that like you have these combat sequences, you have this romance stuff, and they were like, man, we don't actually have a story here. We just have a bunch of dudes hanging out <laughs> and getting horny and flying planes sometimes. We need to like tie this to like a character, right, or a story? And so they landed on the arc of Tom Cruise. Uh, his maverick is 
the best, most swagged out pilot, but he's dangerous and he doesn't play well with others. That's right. But at a certain point in the film, he's humbled and he's like, am I not the best, most swagged out pilot? But then it turns out <laughs> that he is still yes. the best, most swagged out pilot and he's still dangerous, but he does slightly learn how to play better um, I mean, it a just, little bit with others. <laughs> it works so like heavily into the military propaganda aspect of it because yeah. it's like, no, you're like, you're a swagged out individualist. Like, I get it. I get it. But you have to follow orders. Like literally yeah, in the exactly. first like uh, <laughs> teaching course, like the guy um, who's like instructing them is just like, your only instruments of policy. <laughs> like, yeah. just so, like, you, you can have your fun, you can fuck around with the boys, snap towels or whatever, but at the end of the day, just shut up and do your job. Yeah, I think at one yeah. point when they're having a meeting, he's even like, do you understand how expensive these planes are? Like, they're they're essentially telling him that they're worth more than him and that he can should get his head out of his ass a, a little bit. Um, and it's... Uh, it's it's very funny to see the the higher ups perspective on on things, even though they still also give him the whole jerk off and like, yeah, you're still the best, though. You can do it, man. You got to do it if you believe. Well, yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts. Like right after that opening sequence where John Stockwell's character um, who we've talked about uh, John Stockwell a couple times because you obviously in John Carpenter's Christine. But I, we've also really liked him in um, uh, the uh, Albert Pyun uh, collaborations he's been doing like radioactive dreams and dangerously cl uh, close. He's got like a great, yeah. like eighties teen angst, uh, quality to him. And he's the one who has like the, uh, panic attack or the anxiety attack while right. trying to land after the, uh, the little, uh, sort of test that they're doing. And he's, and he was also the number one pilot and he lost his edge in this moment. And Tom Cruise kind of saves him. And it's very funny listening to the, the higher up after that scene where they're like giving him shit. And they were like, Maverick, you're the bravest little boy we've ever seen. That was amazing what you did, but your plane is expensive and the taxpayers play for right. it and your ego is writing checks that your body can't cash and you've been busted a million times, but you're a hell of a pilot. Maybe too good of a pilot and I'd bust your butt if I if I could, but I can't because I gotta give you your dream uh, shot. I'm sending you to the, to the, to the school that doesn't exist uh, <laughs> for all the best pilots in the world and yeah like it's very funny like within a single sentence they will like flip uh like that that's where you because get into character like character has to get to the next step because he's the well man. yeah like it, it, in that way it's kind of nonsensically written and what's amazing to me is that despite how nonsensically like written this film is yeah i feel this film i think i think uh, yeah. so much of this works more then it has any right to work. And obviously a huge part of that is 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 Tony. I mean, Definitely. the anamorphic lensing, the way he shoots this stuff feels majestic. The visual tech fetish of it, how he shoots the jets and the bases, the, you know, the the great use of uh, uh, miniatures that he does sometimes with the, with the jet action, which I looked up and like they did some really crazy stuff like they they realized they couldn't get the shots to like look right because they were trying to shake the camera and it just looks stupid so they literally strapped drills to the camera to create intense shaking and they just literally pressed the drill down which made the camera start kind of going everywhere to kind of get those uh you know perspective shots of them in the cockpit to look a little bit more intense and that's cool you know obviously the big romantic colors the music the macho hangout kind of like joy and angst of it the you know the sort of romantic uh, motion and pure 80s pop cinema vibes of all of these guys the just playing rock. around with these big toys. The soft rock, of the course. electric guitar. 
with a bunch yeah, of just, reverb on it, just like he's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's such a an accomplishment of directorial control over material that just should not be convincing in this sl- in the slightest. But this made a generation of people want to go out and buy aviators like it just <laughs> it did jackets. that. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> just, it, 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 it just literally did that, despite the fact that almost anyone who could watch this and lots of people will. And I, I've already seen the reviews for the new one coming in and there's you know, I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, but there is a lot of shit talking of Tony going on and being like, this one's actually good. And I'm like, oh, well, oh I don't uh, like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah. Because there's a lot of effort um, going into this. And it was very interesting. Someone, I, I have to, uh, Nick Johnston, uh, patron of the show, said this to me, which I thought was really interesting. And I wanted to throw it in last minute because, you know, people, I think, look at, Tony's films and a lot of the time they think that the the corny aspects of them are uh, silly and sometimes mm-hmm. they are or that they're insincere in some way uh, and they're just they, they really aren't the dude was I a sweetheart the dude was a romantic yeah. yeah and in there was nothing more clear to me than this story that uh, was in Val Kilmer's memoirs about this which is basically mm. he tells the story about how he got involved in this film which was really cynical it was actually he was locked into it under Paramount through a contract and he actually didn't want to do the film he thought that he thought that the script sucked by the sounds yeah. of it. Um, and he didn't want to do it. And he said that basically when he got there and he started working with Tony, he just totally got into it. He said that he found the character. He was like, I went through I went on like spirit quests where I was imagining what Iceman's dad in the sky was saying to him and trying to access his rage. Like yes. in his memoir, he says all of this stuff. And then he tells this great story where the only person who honored the process more than me, I think, was our brilliant Tony. One day at dusk, we were up in a helicopter and he was trying to get a perfect angle on the aircraft carrier where most of the film takes place. And I went along in the helicopter for the ride with him. I could understand what he was trying to capture there were so many fumes and we were losing the light and everyone was freaking out we thought he was going crazy and then suddenly (laughs) for a split second the clouds were rainbow sherbet all you could see were the circles of the rainbow smoke curling falling on the water as the aircraft carrier danced its dance and just like tony had dreamed it was incredible i glanced over to smile at him and give him a little nod and as i turned towards him tears were rolling down his face oh that's awesome tony so that's from Val oh. Kilmer's memoir. Um, and basically cared. everyone, yeah, everyone who's worked with him has a story like this, that he was just an incredible, gifted visual storyteller who no matter what he was asked to film, whether he you know, thought the material was silly or it wasn't dark enough, which it sounds like there were parts in this production where he felt that, he put his all into that stuff. And, it, and also the fact that he has that passion for his craft makes him well suited to these stories about, you know, as we'll get into days of thunder as well about honing craft and discovering an intense passion for it. And, you know, the material isn't as intensely researched or intelligent or impressionist as something like Michael Mann's movies, but you know, the, the, it's very interesting watching him still try to, you know, be expressive and be, you know, uh, and, and try to elevate this stuff to that territory. And yeah, yeah. I, did, I am just very, very thoroughly convinced by by Tony's style watching this film and get totally swept up in it. Well, he, yeah, like here's another example, actually, just of how much he cared of getting that right proper shot. Um, it says here that 
he wanted to shoot in the aircraft landing, um, but they kept moving the aircraft and it was like they, they wanted to move it for because they ran out of time or something like that. And he wrote them a check for twenty five thousand dollars just for an extra five minutes of shooting just to get the shot. So he just he seems to have. <laughs> oh, a yeah, because they, yeah, no, they, they, they had to change. Uh, they had to, like, turn the ship around so they could get like it was like something to do. The right he wanted the backlight from the sun. Right, and yeah, right. yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but he was like, literally, cares. they were like, it's going to cost us that much. You're going to lose us that money to make us turn around. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't care. I want five minutes of sunlight. It's going to be really good looking. The shot's going to be way better. It's not going to be the same. 25 grand, I promise you. And dude, all those shots of sunlight in this film, incredible. Oh, they're the, yeah, they're some of the it. best stuff. Yeah, absolutely. That shot of Tom when he's uh, just feeling uh, sad and he's questioning, you know, he's he's just lost his best friend and he's just questioning, am I the best pilot? Do I deserve to still fly? Do I have the mojo? And he's <laughs> like the way just for no reason he's on a motorcycle on like the middle of a mountain where you can see the tarmac <laughs> in the back and you and he's framed so that you can see the jets, you know, uh, taking off and yeah. uh, and and landing in the background at like dusk. And it's just like, you know that they spent, you know, an entire day to get that 10 second shot (laughs) and worth it, worth it. It's like the the writing is not what's making you feel that scene. It's the way that it's shot. (laughs) Yeah. And the way that it sounds half the time. They make an incredibly unlikable lead character um, entertaining because like this, this is obviously not the kind of guy I would be having a beer with. He reminds me of like every bully I had in high school that would yell gay out of a Honda Civic or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, hey, uh, but, 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 but he's slapping his boy's butts and, um, they're playing uh, volleyball together, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is like the, it, he just elevates it to a point where I, I can actually give a fuck about this like smug, uh, fighter pilot that thinks he's better than everybody else. It's just, it, it's uh, only Tony Scott could do it. I swear. And we should we should get to the music, the soundtrack in this oh, thing. Oh yeah, it, it went nine times platinum. That's crazy. I think it, shit. It, <laughs> I think it's credited with like bringing in, like really popularizing people having these tie-in soundtracks and being like, wow, this is like really important to have that quality because it's going to make your movie even bigger, and then you can sell the record a bunch and everything like that. And that obviously, I don't think there was a '90s movie that came out that didn't have that going on, no matter what the movie was. <laughs> Yeah. And um, I mean, they milk like some of those fucking songs like take uh, like take my breath away. I'd say each time I watch Top Gun, there are like two weeks where it's just like looping in my head. Like yeah, I just yeah. look off into the distance and then <laughs> it, it sort of settles in. And Danger Zone, too. It's just like I, it's such a perfect song for, for the energy <laughs> that this film is bringing. Just like. It's it's got all the cheese uh, that that came with the, with the time and that kind of style of song, but it, it just matches. He's on the so highway well to the danger the, zone. Yeah, with the elevated style, it's so it's so great, and that that song there's apparently a, boosted after this movie too, which is no surprise. Yeah, and there's also um, there's a, a section of this film to speaking on what JT was talking about would take my breath away, where I swear to God they play "Take My Breath Away" for 15 minutes straight. I don't think that they do. I, th- I think I think that they do break it up, but it's basically one long "Will They Won't They" romance sequence between McGillis and Cruz. Because I think they as, play the know, instrumental in the background, right? Even when the lyrics yeah. are popping up, it's still that like do 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 whatever's in the background. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's definitely looming. 
Yeah, and and they're doing this whole thing where you know, like she's she's uh, actually he he tries to uh, pick her up at a club with, around all the other guys where they're talking about, you know, we're going to have a we're going to have a great time, you know, and the, the other guys are all talking about who is the guy who um, he's like, you guys are cowboys, you're unsafe. And um, he's like, that's right, Iceman, I am dangerous. Like, this is the kind of things that they're they're saying <laughs> to each other. But there's also the one guy who comes up and starts talking about his dick and i don't remember i don't remember exactly <laughs> why I'll, I'll find it in my notes later but it's very funny that you know they pivot from that and being like man we're gonna have a great time with these guys these guys are cool and uh <laughs> they immediately start trying to pick her up and then it turns out that she's actually an instructor at the school and he's just like you know you're you're a, you're an aggressive pilot maverick and you're also an aggressive flirt and I don't date students and you know, and they end up going to dinner and there's like this big, will they, won't they kind of thing. And Tom in the middle of like the scene where it's like time to kiss and fuck, <laughs> he just leaves. He, he takes off on the motorcycle to go take a shower <laughs> and you're, and you're just like, what is going on? And take my breath man. away is playing. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have another, you know, sort of like intense staring moment in the elevator. And then take my breath away starts playing again. And it keeps going until they get to the point where, you know, like they are actually doing the big romantic blue lit Hollywood sex scene, rubbing each other's backs and everything like that. And that right. I will say is like the least convincing scene in the film. Tony tries his best. Yeah, he, he, he throws it's, the, the it's blue just silhouette on and everything. You know, it looks nice, but it, yeah, it's definitely Tom's not just got exactly nothing there. with her. He's yeah. got nothing with her. He's got no chemistry with her. And with uh, with Anthony Edwards and Val Kilmer, he's just got so much chemistry. It's so much different in those scenes where they are, you know, work, you know, working together. And, you know, they try to throw in some kind of dark detail about, you know, Maverick's going to get them kicked out of school and Goose has a family and he can't, you know, he can't afford to blow this, to blow this sort of shot that they've got. And he's got his girlfriend, very young Meg Ryan shows up. Um, and obviously they partway through the film to, because they were running out of stakes, they were like, okay, we got to kill Goose. He's got a Maverick. He's got <laughs> yeah. to like make a big mistake, and it is a pretty nasty moment when mm -hmm. uh, Goose tries to eject and, and he, he smashes his head on the top of the uh, jet on his way out. Uh, it's it's really crushing, and then you get obviously though Tony gets those big romantic shots of the the bright blue sky and the water. And, oh my you know, god! The, when they being lifted the emergency out of the services water, coming in, yeah, just like it's the beautiful. Green, you get the green like in the water there, and just like it's splashing against the camera. Oh my god, mm -hmm. that looks like. Even though I feel like the camaraderie between Goose and Maverick, like I, I don't buy it really all the way. Like they're uh, the the visual style again, just like elevates it and makes that moment of uh, them l being lifted out of the water when Goose is dead. That just makes it work on that alone on visual style. Absolutely. Yeah, also, like I'm, I'm right there with you. Like sometimes you don't buy the way that those two characters have been written, but I feel that scene like totally yeah, um, I just will, in. Yeah. I will say, I think I, out of, um, obviously with the, I love the tension between Iceman and, and Maverick, but with Goose and Maverick, I, I do buy their friendship. I do like their moments together where they're mm -hmm. just kind of like high-fiving and like, you know, the great scenes, like I've got the need, the need for speed, big high-five. Like they, they have a lot the, of good uh, energy you, you, when you look together. great. Thanks, dear. As he's like fixing his little suit for him and things yeah, like that. <laughs> yeah. I think they have a lot of really good moments together. And I, I also like their uh, kind of 
uh, like family moment that they have uh, in the diner when they're all singing. Oh, great, great balls of great fire. Balls fire. Yeah, by Jerry Lee Lewis. If I was the, the couple beside them, I'd be like, guys, it's a little obnoxious. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but it's still a great scene. I, lo- I love the, the Hollywood flair of it and all of that. It's, it's very fun. Um, but also speaking on the, uh, the death scene, um, he also kind of like settles you into the death where he's floating what you th- hope is at first unconsciously into the water because he does hit, yeah. but it's not confirmed. And and then you have Maverick like holding him and, and you even have the, uh, the one guy that goes to help them say like, sir, you have to let go, which is actually a pretty moving uh, moment, I think. Um, and th- they do take, it's not a lot of time because the next scene he's, he's mourning and all of that, but there is like a little bit of time in there where you can kind of hope that goose might be okay, but it's, it's unfortunate as he's not. <laughs> well, it, it, honestly, it does kind of come as a shock because so much yeah. of the film has just been so low stakes. Like that's exactly. such a high stake moment yeah. for mm-hmm. like otherwise what is like, again, these guys like hanging out in the locker room, like giving each other shit, like just in like shirtless with dog tags on and, they and just almost... being like, I'm the best pilot. No, I'm the best pilot. <laughs> it's like so much of the film interspersed with like training sequences where like they learn, you know, he's reckless, but he's good and yeah. he's doing the wrong maneuvers but he's getting results, you know, like, <laughs> and they also, almost every sequence give, is, is there to like ter- teach them a moral lesson. Uh, every time they do it, they're like, don't abandon your wingman Maverick. Don't yeah. do it. And like every single time, um, well, like for instance, when goose dies, you think at first it might be because of something that Maverick did. And the movie does in the next five or 10 minutes, just go, no, wait, don't, don't worry. We investigated. Uh, you're clear. It wasn't your fault. It was it was the <laughs> engine. And I still like that Maverick, you know, he still deals with a little bit of personal guilt, which is good. And and part of yeah, because I would say that the emphasis the, on that scene is that he is literally being like legally acquitted of it. But yes. it still doesn't feel that way to him. Right. He's just like, yeah. I just don't you know, I I'm responsible. I'm guilty. And they throw in this element where like, you know, he's his dad was a was a pilot who died in combat and was like disrespect or was sort of um, what's the term here? He was uh, discredited. Right. Uh, as a as a pilot for being kind of dangerous, even though. But then they have to throw in the scene where Tom Skerritt shows <laughs> exactly. up, and Tom Skerritt is like, "Actually, your dad died a hero, saving my life." And you know, the, you've been flying up against a ghost up there, man. Well, you should be, because your dad was the best, and you're also the best. <laughs> yeah, which inspires him to go back and keep going. Yeah, because he was going to retire, which really threw of me off. Dad. I don't know if it did for you, Jamie, because we, last time we talked about Tom Skerritt, he was fucking underage Drew Barrymore. <laughs> And poison ivy yeah just so he butt. was just giving me that vibes while watching this and i, I was know, like was this isn't a, keep him away from from kids guys in school <laughs> anyone really tom scarrett i just don't trust the mustache there's something about it um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he encourages the competitive attitude at one point too i think he's in the teeth when he's uh, in class i think uh, Maverick it says something like uh, I'm going to get on that plaque and he's just like I like to hear that soldier <laughs> so yeah he's, he's got some funny moments but yeah I could uh, only think about Poison Ivy absolutely <laughs> uh, but yeah all of this uh, leads to a sort of climactic situation which is one part is him having to grieve and get over goose which i do think is very funny that the way that i don't even know if it was the intent but the way that it's structured it does feel like he has to like get over like 
that a boyfriend left him or something and he's got to like start again and <laughs> mm-hmm. like it literally has this big moment where he throws the dog tags off and he's like i got a new boyfriend and it's val I kilmer also think who it's funny wants to be my wingman that he has like goose had a wife and a kid and the dog <laughs> tags go to uh maverick who throws them in the ocean and i just like I right. well, now that i remember though there might be a scene i can't remember if meg ryan actually gives him the dog tags or if he just takes them in that scene where he goes to the house but regardless I'm drawing it, it a blank feels on that too. funny uh, to me anyway. it is it it is funny yeah. um <laughs> but it, it it has to come at the fact that there's a reason that all of this happened, right? And I love how they have to even come up with a reason like textually to have it because once again, they are doing all of this pointlessly. There's so much money going into this program. There is no way possible that they would be used for a legitimate military exercise. And there probably hasn't been like a mission that they've needed to dogfight in in like decades, like <laughs> since World War II. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If even there, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure what, when dogfighting was as popular as it was. Historians can yell at me later. Yes. Um, Send your angry but, emails. Yes, I would love to hear them, and I will read them all. I won't delete them, I swear. <laughs> um, the, they, of course, when they're graduating, there's a mission on the spot. And also, to Tom Cruise has to defer to Val Kilmer to be like, you know what, Iceman? I recognize that you are the best pilot. You deserve to get the special little pilots award, but now we need to go out and we're in the real world and we need to do like this big mission together. And he so he relinquishes the little, the special little boy prize, congratulates <laughs> him on, on it. And then he's in a crisis situation and you know, there's hostile MiG 28s everywhere. And you know, you've trained for this. You're all of America's best. And we get back to the ramps with the silhouettes in the sky and them walking towards them in slow-mo. And you know, they, they send him, out as backup and he gets to shoot down like three or four different jets and you know doing all of his reckless things where like he slams on the brakes and has him go by (laughs) him and shoots at one like just stuff that's just like in like insane and the guitar riffs are kicking back in and everything it's uh, really you know again it's very silly when you if you were to stop and like think about what it is that you're watching but in the moment once again totally buy it i totally understand the critical reaction people had where they were like yeah the aerial photography is good and the hyper commercial style is like there's nice shots in it but it's all just you know to in service of just really juvenile and kind of empty um ends which which isn't entirely untrue but and an uh, advertisement for the navy (laughs) (laughs) yeah one 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 critic i was reading at the time said that this is yet another rambo-esque installment in the current obsession with mate with might making right as a movie (laughs) top gun is negligible and near ridiculous as a cultural phenomenon it's frightening (laughs) people were like panicked they were like oh my god what the children will someone think about you know they are going to just get swallowed up by america's imperial machine because of this toxic beer commercial because Um, of tom cruise's smile because mm-hmm. of Tom Cruise's smile, it's going to do, but, <laughs> but, uh, and all of that is absolutely there, but I think that there's also just something so childish and pure to it that I appreciate about it as well. Yeah. Um, especially with the, you know, the, these, these, uh, very simplistic combat sequences where they win the day and it's big smiles and they're all hugging each other and how much emphasis they have on the guys high-fiving and, you know, grabbing each other and being like, you know, you're the best. You can be my wingman anytime. And he's like, bullshit. You can be mine. <laughs> Hug it out. 
you know? <laughs> That's like the best part is that, I, it, like, supposedly it is about him being, you know, the, the best pilot, but it's also about him uh, working together and finding teamwork to be valuable. And it's just so funny right. that the last line he gets is bullshit. You can be my wingman. I'm still number one. Go fuck yourself. That's <laughs> just hilarious. And I, I love it. Love it so much. Yeah, the yeah. real special little boy prize is shooting down and killing men in the sky. Yes. Who <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> fight for a nameless country that they will never bring up. But yeah. we but but we we know we know that America's special little uh gay boys are going to end <laughs> the Cold War. That is ultimately what this movie is actually about. That is what Tony yes. was trying to say. And if you think about that and you, you know, register the fact that Tony filled this with just nonstop, pure male longing guys who absolutely in dialogue state that they basically want to have sex with their planes and their machines (laughs) and their toys. And they want to essentially all do it. And they want to be best friends with each other and make googly eyes at each other in in class and be very deeply passionate about all of these things together to nonstop baby romantic needle drops from Kenny Loggins. You have uh, Giorgio Morador uh, who did uh, Scarface and Cat People, which we've talked about. Incredible com- composer. The Righteous Brothers are on here. Uh, the obviously f- hugely iconic guitar riff, which uh, I read up, I just learned, was uh, Steve Stevens, Billy Idol's guitarist, which will fit into Days cool. of Thunder conversation because Billy Idol actually did the big song on that as well with uh, Zimmer. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately what this comes down to is that This is a hilariously overbearing and silly film, if you were to think about it. And it just absolutely gets my blood pumping. I am a sucker for the style and this era. I mean, other other films, notably that I have just given an unquestionable pass to regardless of any, you know, flaws they might have. Streets of Fire is one of those films. Walter Hill to live and die in L.A almost wall-to-wall heightened 80s music video realities where everything about them is expressed through lighting and music. It's just my shit. So you throw in some, like, air show spectacle and some gay hangout montages, (laughs) and I'm just in. I don't know. I I believe... Cruise power. In the cartoonishly sincere romanticism of Tony deja vu, which I talked about with JT over on Extended Clip, is, you know, I think many now admit that it's a very solid Hitchcockian time travel thriller. But to me, it is just also genuinely one of the most romantic films ever made. You know, it's a guy using technology to bring a woman that he's in love with via pictures like back to to real life, to be a person and fleshy. And I tear up at some of Denzel's like expressions in that movie alone. And I think that that's like a, you know, he's working more in tandem with more interesting material there, especially with the surveillance and, you know, some of the thriller aspects, especially like this, this is the kind of movie that has lyrics that are like after the taste of sunsets, one's one of life's simple joys is playing with the boys. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Hell yes. And you know, the fact that, I can totally believe in that and all of the emotions behind it and all of the passion behind it. Despite the fact this is one of the most commercial films ever had a marketing campaign with fucking Pepsi, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, it ended up being, I think the, at the time, the most, uh, sold, uh, video rental and, um, VHS is sold 2.9 million tapes were sold of this film. Um, and yeah, so while I go through the old critical reaction, I like, I find myself like not disagreeing most of the time. Um, 
I totally get the critiques, but I come at this film from the position of, you know, if I have to watch individualist military propaganda films and considering the fact that these films are still around, they're just more subtly integrated into things like Marvel movies now. I mean, uh, even sometimes less subtly. I don't know if you remember, Jamie, that campaign to get more girl pilots uh, in Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Legitimately, they actually did pair with the the, the Air Force to, to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's just like these films are out there and they exist and I totally get that they're a problem and so many people signed up for them and that honestly makes it probably even more troubling for a lot of people <laughs> was that it, that Tony actually was very convincing in his argument. It's too good. But, uh, you know, I subscribe to the Eisenstein thing and we talked about Rocky four in this same way. Oh yeah. You know, there, there's something, and, yeah, yeah, there's something so amazing, uh, being done here on a craft level. And if I have to get, propaganda films i would rather they be dudes rock romance melodramas with sweaty shirtless men hanging out like howard hawks characters and feeling things and staring at each other and all the motorcycles and oversaturated colors and uh you know beach volleyball which is obviously an incredible sequence even just the shots of like the ball spinning and the glistening chess and you know <laughs> the romantic 80s synth pop rock vibe of the whole thing and these guys won't shut up about their butts and their hard-ons to each other and tony just really was one of the greatest and um this film is one of the testaments to that i mean i think it's kind of unfashionable with a lot of people now but it's one of the testaments because specifically strikingly because this is one of the broadest dumbest movies i think i've ever seen and i get genuinely like romantic watching it um yeah. and it's all tony and also you know the fact that there is somehow actual danger and adrenaline to the way that this plays out too is is impressive considering how hard it you know again <laughs> they're they're playing games in the air <laughs> yeah. for like 90 percent of the movie and they're, they're, you know, they're doing little they're doing little lessons and things like that so yeah uh so if we're pivoting towards reductive rating round this one is uh this one it's it's a lighter one but it's a four for me uh and i don't nice. even need to say anything else because i already said it all Nice. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm still in the the strong, strong, strong three. But I have mm -hmm. to say that I, I really do like this. And I uh, because of you, Josh, I have it on Blu-ray. So I will be watching it for years to come. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I upgraded um, to the 4K. So I gave you my Blu-ray. The 4K, oh, by yeah. the way, looks amazing. Oh, oh I, yeah, it's oh. beautiful. Yeah, I bet that I would love to watch that. That that probably really uh, excels in, in this kind of film. So, yeah, I um. I love Scott's style. I, I really do like Cruz's uh, uh, performance, um, even though he's playing a very like unlikable character, at least for me and probably most people. And it, it's just, uh, I just can't get past some of the plotting and, and character work. I just, I, I don't feel attached to anything like I, like I should. Mm -hmm. um, he is making me feel more than I ever would with this kind of story. So, you know, I have to obviously pay my respects to, to Tony Scott again, because he's just a, a master. He's truly one of the best. I, yeah. I'm just going to stick with the, with the strong three, but I'll be revisiting this. This is, this is an absolute blast. It's one of the best, um, American military propaganda movies I've I've seen. Uh, I still do prefer uh, like Rambo two, um, something like that. But 
the vulgarity of it. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Like th- this is just a little too clean. Uh, like we Tom were Tom Cruise about. isn't uh, shooting explosive arrows at people. <laughs> right. I think with mm. Rambo too, it's kind of it feels like I can forgive its its uh, it, the the propagandic feel of it because it's like it's so over the top and almost cartoonish. Where this, although it is over the top, still has a lot of sincerity because of Tony Scott's just awesome filmmaking. Um, mm-hmm. so, so it's hard for me to balance those things a little bit more. So I think that's the reason. Hell yeah. yeah. For you, JT. I'm, yeah, I'm going for as well. I, uh, nice. like I can get on board with the meathead military mindset here. I mean, and again, it's just like all like Tony and, uh, Cruz for me. I think that like people that are not a fan of Tony Scott and will air the style over substance, uh, criticism here his like his style is making the substance because it's mm-hmm. just like there's nothing like pr- really present all that much in the script just like he is just make like crafting like such beautiful images with such intense like textures like uh, like watching this on on the 4k just all the smoke and the sweat mm-hmm. that's just there it's uh I don't know Tony really got like so many like like dirty details that I feel like make it a little bit, um, I don't know, a a little bit less clean. Um, and also it's just like, it's a fun enough, enjoyable time to laugh off the like clear, just like hard, right. propaganda elements of it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It it looks so beautiful. So it's a, it's a fun time, but definitely on the lower tier of, uh, Tony's filmography, but again, it's just a testament to how much of a master he was that yeah. this is on the low end. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, this is a uh, just an okay movie from Tony. It's it's unbelievable. And I say that with quotations. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for Top Gun. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about Days of Thunder. His need. The need to drive right out there on the ragged edge. He doesn't believe you can drive anymore. How long before you find out? If you're really good. You just want to race again. Are you really lucky? You get back in that car, you'll die. All right, we are back and we are talking... Days of Thunder, the 1990 American romantic sports action drama film. That's right. Directed once again by Tony Scott, produced once again by Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, and starring once again <laughs> the dream Tom Cruise. It is, it is funny how they every single one of them came back. They were like, Top Gun had the magic. It had the juice. Yep. We literally, let's just do it again. But with, <laughs> with NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah, let's just do the same thing. The boys are going to absolutely be more in love uh, <laughs> with the the machine and the toy than they are the the women in their lives or with each other. And, um, you know, they're going to be a little reckless with them, but they're going to have the drive literally and they're going to do it. But this time we're moving from the Reagan era where uh we were having, you know, lots of lots of uh, military worship going on. And instead, we are now moving over to the world of NASCAR stock car racing instead of 
fighter jets. Um, and when they called Tony up for this one, he basically had a blank check. I think this one was like three times or almost four times the budget that Top Gun had. They were like, you've got it, man. So go nuts. And in, in many ways, this one is a lot more visually impressive and there is some more you know mileage may vary obviously but i think that there's some more interesting writing uh happening yeah, in this too I even mean, though it has all the same sentimental silly qualities that the previous one did and broadly in terms of the arc of the story it is yeah. nearly identical <laughs> i mean they bring on robert town to do the script and from a little bit of the background work that i i did like digging on the film like because crew's I think was the inspo for the story because he was just like uh, getting into like uh, sports cars and then he like hung out with like one of the big uh, NASCAR guys and like was able to take one of those around the track and he was like, let's make this a fucking movie and uh, gets like Robert Town uh, on board and I think they did like uh, a lot of time like legitimately like uh in the pit like spending time like around like fellas actually doing this shit and i think like i mean it's not like the best script in the world but like compared to top guns uh script <laughs> it's uh pretty damn good yeah like i like uh, that i like that his character actually had like some underlying secret flaws this time around like <laughs> one thing i really enjoyed was when he you know they they do the first kind of test run and whatever and then they're at the bar with uh with duval and 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 he's just like uh, i actually know absolutely nothing about these cars and i'm so confused by all of the terminology you guys are throwing at me <laughs> and uh it was just it was kind of something to invest in a character that felt a little bit in over his head uh was just a little bit easier to latch on to i guess than than the uh the cruise in top gun yeah i definitely like this idea that they go with in here which is that he, he is a very good driver and he is mm -hmm. by the end of the film he is the best driver and so it's the same way as top gun in that but they do detail it out a little bit more where it's like there is a relationship between the driver and the piece of machinery. They actually do sort of bring out the idea of the car as a thing and the car is something that is made by another person. Like introducing the Robert Duvall character, I think is like a really huge thing. And obviously having Robert Duvall, yeah. you know, great actor. And the team itself, so, like him having to learn yep. how to not, yep. like it's, it, I guess it is kind of the same in, the, in Top Gun 2 where he's trying to learn how to be a, a, a teammate. But in this one, you see the steps a little bit more clearly. Like you see him make those mistakes yeah, they're actually then, dramatized scenes. It's, it's yeah. not like a, a sequence where it's like, well, see, you would have passed that flight exam if you didn't abandon your teammate like a moron. But you're still Tom, the best. So go you know. out there and do it again. Yeah. This time <laughs> yeah. It's more. But like, also you did it. Yeah. You disobeyed the rules really well, though. Yeah. So keep that in mind this while you're, you know, like, like it, afterwards, Duval will come up to him and be like, hey, you need to change this because this is why you messed up and it's going to keep happening or or yeah there's more process to it which yeah. is obviously very nice i like the idea of robert duvall also kind of you know uh coming out of retirement also they give him the backstory of having like you know killed another driver possibly mm -hmm. he, he obviously there's a sort of a twist on it near the end but the idea is that you know he's lost someone he's lost a previous driver who was very skilled because in order to be a really really good driver you 
you have to be incredibly dangerous and put your life on the line. And they try to gesture towards that in Top Gun with the whole goose element. Yeah. But again, it's very undercut by how short his grieving period is and how easy <laughs> it is to be like, yeah, you weren't really responsible for it and all of that. Like, I think this movie does a lot better job at actually tying the sort of physical danger yeah. to the actual economics of how NASCAR is run as a sport. And I think it's actually interested in being a little bit darker and more, um, you know, more actually critical of the environment that these characters are in, which was definitely yeah. something that, you know, Tony wished he could have done on Top Gun. So in a lot of ways, if you have issues with the writing of Top Gun, you might prefer Days of Thunder. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it has that kind of, uh, I think this was a character thing in Grand Prix where it, it's like, does he have almost a, a death wish? Like he doesn't really care about the yes. danger. He's a little bit uncontrollable. Um, he likes to control the uncontrollable, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, which is obviously like the big, the big speech that he yeah. gets. And yeah, the only other big racing movie we've talked about on the show was Grand Prix by John Frankenheimer, which, mm -hmm. which is still, I think, kind of unmatched in terms of how they film the, um, the cars and the races. racing and like, oh yeah, yeah. It's I mean, Tony <laughs> does a really good job in this film, yes. but there's something just inherently kind of boring about the way that NASCAR racing works, Definitely. like how it is literally guys driving in a circle, whereas Grand Prix is a lot more visually interesting for Frankenheimer yeah, and in, the like, way he straps the cars and like, you know, you see all these. these oh these yeah. When they crash and burn, turns. they're like flying into like water and shit. Yeah. And there's like people are on the barriers everywhere. Like it, it looks and feels really really dangerous and not you know less I, I guess less commercial as a sport in a way even though obviously mm -hmm. that's not even true it absolutely still is but um there's something more visually interesting about grand prix racing than there is compared to nascar racing in terms of approaching it as a visual director yeah but what i will say tony absolutely outclasses grand prix in terms of how he handles like the melodrama of his film oh, that was the definitely. one issue we kind of had with that film where it was like three hours and you know the, the character types are there but it's just it has no energy to like the domestic scenes yeah you put those, those two characters together, hanging out one hell of a racing movie i've got to say yeah um because it, yeah that's ve that's very true i think tony has a much better handle on like the relationships even like with the team and then with Kidman eventually which it does have a mm -hmm. lot of like uh still kind of Hollywood cheese to it but that that you know the and it's literally elevates. the same relationship from Top Gun it, it's like an yeah. older woman who's like a professional who he <laughs> you know they're merging those relationships so very famously I think Ebert in this review called this film and dubbed it the Tom Cruise picture and he literally <laughs> half of his review of this film was just like being like, I've seen Top Gun, I've seen Color of Money, I've seen Cocktail. It's very easy to tell when Tom Cruise has picked his own script. Because oh, yeah. you have one, you have the Cruise character, Cole Trickle in this film. He's uh -huh. the young, naive, you know, talented kid. You have his mentor, the older man, you know, who, you know, he's he's went through all the trials and tribulations that he's about to. And, you know, he, you know, but he needs to learn to kind of have faith in the kid a little bit, you know. That's right. You have the great older woman. You know, she's taller. She's more mature than him. You know, she's, uh, you know, she's going to, while the mentor, I think it says, uh, uh, mentors his craft, the woman is there to mentor his spirit. Right. Cause that, he, she, he views her as like, it's the same way he views NASCAR at a certain point where it's like, I have to tame the untamable, right? I can't have this woman. She's brushing me off and doing all these things. So I just have to keep pursuing that, that, that whole that whole thing. Credit to them with this film, though. Cruz and Kidman actually kind of do have some chemistry versus yeah, Cruz and McGillis. Um, yeah. And obviously, I mean, you know, 
Cruz and Kidman would literally get married within six months of shooting this film, right? Like it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this, this was so the, the film that they there. met on and they were, yeah, they were, they were, sparks were flying on camera and Tony was there to just throw in some extra sparks in the background while it was happening. I mean, this dialogue. is a, it's a love filled <laughs> set here because uh, Tony meets his wife uh, here because she plays uh, John C. Riley's uh, girlfriend in this. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I also, I wanted to mention, uh, I'm a big fan of Talladega Nights, so it was just really funny <laughs> to see uh, John C. Riley in, in the same like position, even as a line where he goes like, wow, that was fast. And I just, I couldn't help but think of it. Of course, it's referencing that in Talladega Nights, but just, just very funny. It is funny that with that film... Adam McKay literally was like, what if we just did the same film, but we put some jokes in it? Yeah. Like it, <laughs> beat it for beat. That, it's essentially, the, yeah. It's the this same film. Serious like it's not, Talladega, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even though I thought James Mangold already did that with his Ford versus Ferrari to kind of a little bit of lesser effect. Um, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, it's okay. Though. Sometimes you just sometimes you have too many shots, medium shots of the cars going in a circle and cutting <laughs> to the guy being like stepping on the gas harder and passing him. And you're just like, someone shoot this a different way yeah. for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I have to give Tony some credit for the fact that he was like the one to establish those visual tropes that everyone yes. now steals. <laughs> 100%. Not that he was the first one to ever do a racing sequence or a chase sequence by any means. But, you know, some of the ones that are done in this kind of sports context specifically um and i like like yeah, he no, uses a lot I, of uh like he really establishes the power of these machines a lot of the time when you're in the cockpit i've seen a lot of racing movies where it's it's very uh, smooth and every time you're in the cockpit with with cruise it's just shaking and you kind of just feel how fast he's going and and like the metal scrapes and and all of that i i he does a great job of that oh yeah yeah, the, the, the craft tech fetish stuff in this, I think, is even better than in Top Gun as well, because you don't really get to know the engineering of the of the aircrafts. You, you, right. you get them very lovingly shot and you get them, you know, these great sequences of the guys like refueling them and watching them take off like the opening. What, like 30 seconds of Top Gun is just like five jets taking off. And like yeah. that's like if you were on an aircraft aircraft carrier you probably would see like two takeoff for your entire day in the world of tony's dream world there's like five and ten seconds and you're like wow this is the sickest most high octane job ever yeah um and but that he kind of leaves it at that with top gun he doesn't really have anywhere else to explore because he's got the big sort of melodrama stuff happening and i do like that he does fit in some more like legit sort of like engineering qualities um into this like obviously you have the introduction of the robert duvall character who is the old guy who's going to build tom cruise the brand new hot shot kid who's never raced a stock car which is a really hilarious detail that he's a california boy who's only raced um shit what are those call those cars called um like the open open wheel racers yeah um and so they're like you've never driven a stock car before and they they want me to build a car for you and, you know, I love that he shows up. Tom, too. I think the fits are, you know, the fits were good in Top Gun, but there's something about the denim tuxedo that he's and rocking also, in this when he pull and the chopper. Yeah. And his introduction in general, like him, just like they're, they're talking about this, like mysterious driver that's really good. And then all of a sudden they're like, they look to the left and Tom Cruise is just there he is. On a motorcycle, <laughs> just aviators on, just looking like the most badass rock star. And it, it's his introduction. So and, and he even comes off like very, uh, very confident and just like yeah i'm the i'm the best driver there is um so yeah from the very opening it it establishes the cruise power 
Yeah, and apparently this character that Duval is playing, Harry Hogue, is based on a real crew, crew chief named Harry Hyde, speaking to JT's point, that they actually, you know, they did interact with a lot of these real guys who, you know, and they were involved in consulting and, you know, giving them some really interesting stories, like the, the, the brief comedic bit where they don't let him come into the pit because the entire crew is eating ice cream. <laughs> apparently that actually did happen and broke out in to a fight with the driver and his crew. <laughs> so <laughs> like they, so they include some really cool detail that is like actually true to this sport. That's a little bit more research, uh, in comparison to, um, Top Gun. But I also love that as a result, Tony also applies the romantic qualities to that stuff. Like I, I knew I really liked this movie. The second the scene Duval gets, cause Duval sells it where he's looking at just like the empty chassis and he's like, I'm going to give you an engine low to the ground. He's talking to it like he's talking to like a woman. Yeah. He's like extra <laughs> thick oil pan to the cut wind from underneath you. It'll give you 30 or 40 more horsepower. I'm going to give you a fuel line that'll hold an extra gallon of gas. And I'm going to shave half an inch off of you and shape you like a bullet. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like one of those food commercials where they're like, and then we slice exactly. the cheese and put it on some <laughs> toasted bread. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Tony can't help himself. That is his sensibility. And it's just the material actually it like more serves it here. I absolutely believe that that is how his character romantically feels about <laughs> cars. And then you yeah. throw in, you know, some Hans Zimmer, early Hans Zimmer score going here where he's like throwing in these sort of like twangy plucking sounds that sound almost like country. But then he merges them with his like very epic drums and piano and electric guitars and synth. It's very, yeah. very rousing and very huge. And it's not as iconic as as Top Gun in terms of needle drops, but the the actual score that they've kind of replaced it with is very, very much the, you know, uh, Tony replicating the style of the sentimental mood and the the huge guitar riffs and, you know, massive oversaturated skies and, you know, the, the, the macho professionals and they're, you know, they're honing their craft and, you know, but they're dangerous and, and reckless and, you mm -hmm. know, they got to push it to the limit of what the technical craft can do. And big emotions in relation to the like men like loving their cars kind of things like and especially with Duval's like just pure love of the machines in it like the whole Cruz arc is just like Cruz is like he's fucking the cars and Duval yeah. is like no you gotta make love to it you gotta go <laughs> slow like you gotta take it down like no you gotta feel the machine like you know like you're burning that's out absolutely all these tires the story that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, no, that's so that that's so true. Yeah, because they have so many issues where he's just like, you know, you're burning the tires up, man. You can't treat your tires like that. You need your tires. Your tires are going to finish that race for you. Like these are like the conversations <laughs> that got to respect the car. <laughs> respect that. Yeah, I mean, while you know, like his. Uh, what is the, the coach comes or not the coach, the owner, I guess, because he's, he's like a cheap dealership owner, right? Who is the guy who gives them the car? He's like a Chevy dealer, mm -hmm. which is very funny. I do love how much detail they throw in here about how like, you know, this is like a, a, a board like this is a, a play sport for a board dealership owners where <laughs> yeah. he's just like, yeah, I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to get a racer. I'm going to get you know, I'm going to get the guy who's going to build the car and everything like that. But at one point the the different push and pull between Robert Duvall's method and Tom Cruise's method, which is, you know, again, sort of just more instinctive and more um, uh, pedal to the metal is uh, we look like a monkey fucking a football out there. Is how, <laughs> is how he describes it. What a great line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. 
I also like so yeah, the there's a really they, cool little push and pull between them. I also like the way they eventually show, um, like they they respect their their uh, their NASCAR vehicles eventually, and Tom Cruise learns to. Um, but when they they do like they they still view cars as just this like disposable tool. For instance, when they um, take the rental vehicles to the dinner and then just start racing each oh, other recklessly man. and they're smashing Great each other. Scene. Yeah, and apparently, which is really funny, it's based off of uh, some 1950s NASCAR superstars that would rent cars, race and crash into each other and then like abandon them, which is just hilarious to think about that these people are just so like, I just love racing, so I'm just going to rent out a car, smash it up. I don't even care. Um, And that sequence is one of the more like, well, there's a lot of fun to be had in this, but I just like the serious tone that it goes back and forth where it's the the dinner where they're waiting for them and then it cuts back to them on the beach and they're just crashing into each other on like this public beach racing. It's it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I, I think that this does do a little bit more of... Um because because you're right like there does there is like this again they're they're throwing in kind of like this darker more serious element about the way that you know like these drivers you know actually do put their bodies on the line for something that is very you know there's something precarious about a guy in a giant metal thing that crashes into another one and also like their entire lives are kind of tied to that like there's this great detail with the character jamie was referring to who he goes into the 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 rental car off with is a rowdy played by michael rooker yeah, great actor. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and a much more, I mean, like, I love Val Kilmer in Top Gun, too. It's very funny, the replicating even, like, the 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 enemy who becomes his friend mm-hmm. role. But th- this is a, a much deeper and more explored relationship that these two have where, yeah. you know, like, he's the young rookie who isn't particularly skilled and hasn't trained his whole life for it. And Rooker kind of feels like, you know, this kid's kind of annoying him. And so when they are first racing up against each other, he's just like, yeah, you can drive fast, but I bet you can't handle like the actual skill it takes to drive with, you know, 50 other cars on the track and, you know, get into these situations where you're going to run into each other. And, you know, these kind of elements like this, that Rooker kind of puts them through the ropes. And as a result, their rivalry um, ends up in them getting into a huge crash, which is a really yeah. incredibly directed moment too, where like all the entire track is taken up by smoke and it's punctuated by dropping the propulsive music for the race as he commits to driving through it. Cause typically the cars move off the road so that they don't get crashed into or move off the track. But Rooker either they they actually kind of vaguely suggest that he might have intentionally been there or, you know, but like there is this thing where he couldn't get off the track in time. Cruz runs directly into him and the car smash is just massive. Mm -hmm. And as a result, these two get tied, you know, they get injured together and go into the hospital and it becomes the situation where like Rooker might have possible, you know, uh, brain damage and he might need to get surgery but you know he might lose his sponsors and he might not be able to afford his mortgage that he just got with his family so they throw in all of these you know sort of like darker elements but my favorite aspect of this is you can't get tony away from the romantic qualities and he can't not have fun with you know the idea that you know it's again it's the love of the game the same thing as color of money the way that scorsese shoots the pool table and how just invested the camera is and his skill and what he's able to do with it and how passionate he is about it these guys just love racing and my favorite scene in this film that kills me every time i watch it yeah 
is after they've had this really intense, these guys are injured, they're hospitalized, they're panicking, they're freaking out. And there's these kind of these sad moments where he's like, you know, Tom's getting his MRI and he's like, you know, when I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. Will someone talk to me? Like he's so isolated and he's used to having his headset from in the car and he's yelling at like doctors in <laughs> to like give him a headset so he can talk to his friends. And it's kind of a little sad moment. And then he gets out in the wheelchair with Rooker. They're being pushed along the hallway towards the doctor beside each other. And they immediately just start ripping yeah. in the wheelchair. And, and, the, like, and they're literally racing down the hallways in the wheelchairs, pushing them as far as they can go. The synth kicks in the huge smiles <laughs> on their faces. Like it's as if the race that almost just killed them both didn't end and they just keep it going. <laughs> yeah. I love the pacing of it too. Cause it has Tom Cruise just kind of do like one big push that gets him about a, f a couple feet in front of Rowdy. And then, uh, it just causes him to to push back and then it just gets faster and faster and faster. And I just love how inspiring the music turns out to be like it, Once again, Tony Scott just can't help but film with like sincerity and romanticism. So even when there's something like this, which is funny, like when you're going to watch it, even if it's filmed very um, almost seriously, uh, you still get like a, a really good sense of humor out of it. Um, and I yeah, I, this is one of my favorite uh, moments too and I don't want to spoil it but it kind of relates to uh, the very ending shot uh, as well a little bit which is like the love of racing but we'll get <laughs> to that yeah yeah. I mean I um, think, uh, for me like the the passion I mean what really elevates this for me like over Top Gun is just the passion of racing is like existential and like I think towards like the tail end of the movie when Cruz is struggling to like come back or not he's just like there, he he has nothing else is like what he's saying and even if yep. it's something like that is as like life-threatening as uh racing and like as kind of ridiculous as that is like Scott treats it with such an earnestness and mm. like that sincerity that like makes it like yeah like they're doing something dangerous that is like a game but like he gives so much heart and life to that passion that you can like buy into it. Yeah. Yeah. There's one mm -hmm. moment. Well, um, well, well and, and that's why it turns out that like, again, we're seeing the same thing happen here where he's applying this very romantic style to in Top Gun. It was like to material that didn't really kind of like earn it. Like you can make the argument that, you know, like these guys are feeling things and they're using, yeah. you know, the big toys in the sky to kind of express it in a way that they're feeling things for each other and things like that. But that is left mostly in the writing to, you know, for the most part, just subtext. You're just sitting there. Yeah. You're like, there's not actually dramatic arcs written around that. Whereas you do have that, in this film. So this actually does work as a piece of expression. You know, this does actually have where, you know, we're not just being like, yeah, Tony is overpowering the material into something that you feel. There are feelings here for him to accentuate. Like, you know, this idea as Jamie has mentioned a couple times where it's like, you know, what, what is, what is the big line that he gets about how he loves racing because he loves the idea of taking something uncontrollable and like taming it in a way. Yeah. And like, you I, know, figure, I think it's as simple he loves that as power. he likes to control something that's uncontrollable. It's something along those lines, but yeah, he, and he, and he also says that he loves the, um, it's something like the speed. That's what he says. It's, it's essentially the thrill. The it's kind of speed. similar probably to the Top Gun character a little bit in that regard. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I would just say that it's just, you know, it's more like actually written into the way that the characters behave now. Oh, absolutely. Now. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't feel so like it feels like he has a, literally a relationship with the team and the vehicle, whereas in Top Gun, it feels mostly purely ego driven, purely for himself. Um, whereas this feels like he's trying to connect with a bunch of different things here. Mm-hmm. His character is just deeper <laughs> in this movie. It, de- it definitely is. Um, and, he, yeah. and that includes like we were talking about how, you know, they're, they're using the cars to to do damage and all of that. Um, like there's one moment in this where he gets frustrated that one of the new drivers is winning. So after the race, not even during but while he's doing his victory lap, he just goes out onto the track and T-bones the guy. Um, and <laughs> that, that to me, I mean, it speaks a lot. It's, it's, it speaks to his passion of a character, of his character. But it, it's, uh, I was a little thrown off in the plotting a bit in that just because it, it felt like that was such a, a dangerous thing for a, a NASCAR driver to do that anyone would be like banned from the league entirely if you were to do that that seems so like homicidal it's fucking crazy to me uh it really works in the movie um but i just i wanted to bring it up because it was kind of a moment that that threw me off a little bit um it it still works really well with his character though yeah because because that that comes after he almost he gets like pushed off right like he gets kind of crashed into or they they try to like knock him off the track and they flatten his tires or whatever it is right because now now he doesn't have a rivalry with brooker he's got a a rivalry a rivalry with the guy named russ wheeler right (laughs) who's played by uh isn't it the guy from i can't ever remember his name isn't he from princess bride is it yeah Uh, carrie elwes i think yeah oh yeah 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 that's right yeah that is the guy. Yeah. yeah. I always think of him as a Black Lodge Chevy Chase a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just the, the vibes like he gives Chase off sometimes. Black Lodge himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're right that I think it, the, the movie is more interested in the actual danger that these characters are, you know, causing to each other. I mean, when yeah. they have like, again, the, the sequence with, they throw in sort of like the, the hospital subplot and everything. I like Nicole Kidman being in there and being like, you know, they're being like, are they okay? Can we like put them right back out? Like we need them that we make money off them. They have sponsors right. on their jackets. Like, don't you understand? Like, and she's just like, well, their brains are intact <laughs> as much as they were before the injury anyway. Um, and she's like, I'm not inclined to give you guys any clearance because this is, this is just a dangerous way to live your life. And they're like, well, that's a, that's a philosophical difference, you know? And big John, the head of NASCAR is there being like, you know, you guys aren't going to do any monkeying around on my tracks anymore. And obviously Tom is, you know, he's not going to listen to that. He's a, he's a free spirit and he's very passionate and, you know, in the heat of the moment. Yeah. He's going to change his tires even after the race is over so that he can slam into the guy. <laughs> who who uh, fucked up his race? And it kind of like I think uh, Kidman has a really uh, cool moment uh, where she kind of deflates um, Cole's belief in controlling the uncontrollable. Where she's like, "You guys are like forty drivers going three hundred miles an hour, uh, all 
cramped together. There is no control. Like you don't actually have what you think you have. Yeah, and you get that in the filmmaking. Like when you're watching those long shots of those cars just blistering past and the, you know, Tony is obviously really, really good at um, like motion and the kind of blurring effect that kind of happens in those scenes. So like, God, when you you really feel like those cars are going to any second one is away from just absolutely demolishing the person beside it. Yeah, and they even played it with some of the, yeah, definitely, with some of the strategies, like eventually when Duvall is telling him to take risky maneuvers that we've seen previously has made him spun out and eventually crash and things like that. So, Oh yeah. Wait, wait, when he lies about the tires, when he's like, uh, yo, just pass, just pass him on the outside. I put on the super special tires for passing on the outside. Uh, Cole. Yeah. Yeah. Or I and he just love... decides to go for it. And then he's like, wait, y- you didn't do that. And he's just like, you totally just like risked my life. That was stupid as fuck that I just did that. Yeah. But I do love that. It always comes back to the romanticism and Duval gets a really great line in that moment where he's like, um, you know, I, I knew you could do it. I believed in my heart that, that right. you could do it. That was it. it. There wasn't a technical reason for the advice that I gave you other than, you know, you clearly have, a gift you have this power this ability this thing that is beyond the logistics and the precision of like my technical craft that's there and yeah, they even and at one point call them there's calculating drivers and kamikaze drivers and cole is the latter <laughs> yeah and i like too that that eventually translates to a moment with duval where there's like a big crash and there's a ton of smoke that cole just needs to kind of trust his team to guide him through it and be like it's clear that way you can go through it uh, oh, and those ahead. traumatic flashbacks of him being like, I'm I'm going to hit Rooker again. Yeah, that are kind of fading yeah. into even, it as well. It's yeah, it's really, really yeah. good. And it's just a, it's a great moment of like him kind of, uh, you know, uh, giving himself over to his team and, and giving them that trust. It's It's really nice. Well, yeah, and 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 I actually am actually moved by the performances in that scene because what is it? What mm-hmm. is it that Tom says after he does that? There's like this great. I forget what he's, he says. Uh, I did it, Harry. I'm through. Mm-hmm. And Duval is just there in the pit, just smiling, and he's be, he's do, he gets to do the best line of the movie. This is it. This is what it's all about, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Just guys driving cars through giant smoke. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. At full his, his accelerator, his accelerator gets stuck, and there was a great uh, one of our patrons, Nick Ferguson, reviewed this film, and he had a great line where he's like, "Is there a better metaphor for a Simpson Bruckheimer Scott production than a broken accelerator stuck to the floor?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> real (laughs) Uh, yeah that's absolutely at a certain point what this film feels like like it takes brief digressions to give you some of this you know sort of romantic detail and sort of you know uh sort of dramatic detail like again you get the nicole kidman talk calling them all infantile egomaniacs which i thought was uh you know really great where she's just like nobody knows you don't know what's gonna happen you know you're all just scared that you don't know what's gonna happen i just i like actually admit it yeah and then you throw in the you know pretty moving stuff with with uh rooker where he's actually like fainting and has possibly suffered like more brain damage than he previously thought but you know he's just like look he's just popping the pills and he's like uh you know hey i've gotten injured all kind all all the time in this sport you know it's it's gonna go away i just if i go to the doctors there it's gonna be real i don't want to do that i'm just i'm gonna get over whatever this is but his headaches won't go away and you know what is it he's got like a lesion going on so he's like he's actually like internally bleeding and they have to do surgery and then when they find (laughs) out that the surgery will mean he can never drive again 
crushing. Yeah, it really is. I also, I did find it funny, the little transition they do from him denying like any, you know, being looked at by a doctor or anything like that to the hospital, which is just crews like taking a pool cue or some type of like uh piece of wood oh, no, and just the, the, like, the, the, ba- the baseball bat the baseball bat where right. he's just like either you're gonna get surgery or I'm gonna perform surgery on you right now with this baseball bat <laughs> yeah, he, like, he threatens him with a baseball bat and then the next scene it just cuts to them at the hospital which I, I doubt I did find very funny um it's a Lucky, little totally he just strange, had to go machismo mode on him, you know, <laughs> exactly, that's yeah. just it. That's the, how they communicate with one another. Like these guys were guys who became friends by riding rental cars along the beach and like <laughs> doing them. basically the 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 scene from is it Rocky three? Is that with the, the one beach where, montage, um, where they run together with the beach montage and then they like yeah, tackle where, each other where, in the water and shit? <laughs> yeah, where uh, Apollo like teaches or, or like actually teaches him how to how to fight like a little different. Yep. And they yeah, they do the big, you know, they're Tank hugging on the beach they're running shorts, along. They're, they're sprinting. They even this movie even has the sprinting shot in it, too. Like it's very, you know, <laughs> this is copying more of the sports movie book than Top Gun was. But, it's yeah. it, you know, there's a reason those Rocky movies were pretty effective. And I think yeah, I would have loved to have seen Tony get his hands on one actually watching yeah, this that one. would be very cool that would have been awesome but also the fact that both of these have both have like romantic beach sequences like that is very funny like mm-hmm. the other one it's beach volleyball where they're in the <laughs> they're they're in the jeans and <laughs> slapping each other and be like oh yeah good one dude <laughs> <laughs> doing the high five to butt slap move That's but in but one. there is something amazing in this to like replicate that kind of style like that these guys are having a great time with one another but they're slamming metal into each other and like the yeah. destruction and it's even cross cutting with the boss like waiting for them at the dinner being like these boys better be behaving themselves and then they're you know they're at the table like covering for each other being like you know it's like what happened to you guys they're like we had car trouble and they were like what was it he's like it was the transmission he's like yeah yeah all right you know <laughs> it just gets that like it still has the Brookheimer Simpson like juvenile bro energy but just makes yeah, it absolutely all, all like a touch more elegant and gentle there and like there's one scene that like I, the first time I saw it it just perplexed me because <laughs> it was just like how did they get the cops like in on this prank <laughs> or a team <laughs> where it's just like they get like they have like the like the fake well conceivably real police cars but like and maybe (laughs) two real (laughs) two real cops uh to have like a stripper just like uh grab cruz's cock and like make him sweat (laughs) for a moment and it's just like there's still there's still the boys playing around antics but because there's the i don't know the life or death stakes here it just like i don't know it's more more earnest and real and it's just like i don't know it, it the the juvenile moments in this are a little bit less homoerotic, but like just as yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, because you still do have stuff like uh, like that stripper scene leads into uh, the moment where he meets Kidman and he puts the like stethoscope up to his <laughs> dick. <laughs> That's like a, you know, I know it's a stripper, guys. Uh, uh, you can't fool me twice. Yeah, Nicole Kidman is way too hot to be a surgeon or a, you know, like a, a, a neuroscientist. <laughs> yes, exactly. um, also, yeah. I have to I have to say. That might that that might have been like a, a full on prostitute because no stripper has ever open mouth kissed me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, true, but. true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 
I'm just making an observation. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going to read anything into that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but if we get any, if we get any mail about it, I will send it your way. <laughs> hey, I'm just, I'm just saying. Jamie, Jamie's looking for your stories. That's it. That's all he's looking yes, for. Send, um, yes, email me your best stripper stories. Thank you. This is what the Sleazoids <laughs> is all about. Um. Yeah, no, but it, it is funny how, yeah, like they, they, they do moments like that, which should play like, you know, like more, uh, like sh- probably should be played like a little bit darker, but yeah, so, <laughs> but this is a Bruckheimer Simpson thing. You exactly. Know? Like, it's gotta is, be fun. The, the, these are some boys antics and it does lead to a really nice moment. I thought where Duval comes up and like apologizes to Nicole Kidman. They were like, look, he would not have done that if yeah. we didn't play like a super mean trick on him. I also and do think I don't, it's funny you know, want you to hate him. That he has to go up to the doctor and be like, oh, so a few weeks ago we got him a stripper and, you know, she's Yeah, like having to explain that story is so, so funny. <laughs> about the stethoscope incident. Yeah, very funny. Very funny. I also do like the, uh, the Cruz and Kidman scene right after that where he approaches her in the in the parking lot and he's just trying his best to, to kind of apologize for what he did as well. Um, and she blows him off. I, I thought that their chemistry was decent. Yeah, and she interprets him, like, trying to flirt with her as, like, you know, wanting to get back uh, to work faster and, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, get back on the track. Or and just, just like, no, no, no. like I, him, which I like, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do like the line, too, that I think sums up a lot of what's going on in this. Uh, she says, uh, it's my job. Like for when he's thanking her for taking care of, oh, of him, yeah. and he's like, yeah. "You're," and he's like, "It's my life." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a such a good line. <laughs> Your job is my life. Is uh, you know, this smile. version's this movie's version of the of of the romance. Yes. Um, and also a scene where he explains sling he mansplains slingshotting to her yeah. uh, with with little uh, little sugar packs riding up her leg until he he gets to the sweet spot and he's just like and then you hit the finish line or whatever and she's like fucking yeah she likes it <laughs> she's like stop stop <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I thought that that was a, a good scene too and, and just a, a fun cute little and dumb way of of translating like his love for the sport and his love for her or the personal and the love. professional coming together yeah yeah you know and it's, in, it's in, a cute in, in both cases because she's a very unprofessional doctor we should say <laughs> yeah <laughs> there is a romantic physical sequence in this that i just think is unbelievably unprofessional but also <laughs> incredible in the way that it's shot like oh, it yeah. is like like Tony is filming this like it is like a genuinely erotic, sexy scene. Mm-hmm. And it is Nicole Kidman like shining the light into his eye to like, you know, actually check on him and check on his body and things like this. But they're like rubbing up against each other. Their faces are like two inches away from each other. And Tom is like kissing her during the physical. And she, you know, she's just very much like, well, we can't we can't be doing that. My, and, uh, but then right outside the hall, they just start going to town on each other. Yeah. My favorite detail is. Is when she, you know, she's doing something with his feet, some type of physical with his feet. And then when she goes up, that's when he kisses her. And it's such a smooth transition that Kidman does from like the kiss to to nothing. Like she just stops and then moves on with the physical without saying anything. There's no like facial expression. Um, And I just I did enjoy that kind of uh, that playful nature that they have that back and forth between the before they eventually just all have sex. but I really like her performance in that scene. Yeah, Tony's version of foreplay is just a romantic 
doctor's physical. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give him credit. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a nice little scene somehow, uh, even though in theory it should not be. <laughs> you should be horrified that a doctor would be doing these things. <laughs> if your doctor does this to you, please tell someone. <laughs> I, I mean, unless she looks like Kidman, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> hey now, hey now, hey now. I'm not condoning anything. I'm sorry. We're not doing that on the Sleaze Always yeah. podcast. Parody, please also send your mail about that to That's Jamie all me. Well, yeah, all me. your hate mail. Yeah. I'll give you my email after this show. Um... <laughs> But yeah, all of this, I, I do like that it that it connects to this, you know, very, very simple, but very sentimental idea of Rooker can't drive his car anymore. He's not allowed to drive. There is this kind of nice moment with him and Cruz where he asks him, you know, like, if you were in my situation, would you do it? Because he knows that he's going to be hearing this answer from someone who understands the thrill of driving. Mm -hmm. That, like, would you rather be able to just drive for the next couple months of your life? <laughs> or would you never drive again to continue, um, you know, living? And you would think someone with a family would have an easier choice there. But the film does a really good job of showing you how passionate these guys are about what they do and how much it means to them. Right. So and like probably that's, how you know, I, reliant they are as well. I would imagine at a certain point this would be like your only skill if you were just kind of set in yeah. it for so many years, you know, that's part of the industry critique too, right? Is that like, yeah. the, what else, what else could, could he do after? I mean, I guess, you know, he could, you know, try and work as one of the mechanic guys yeah, or a car maybe, builder. Yeah. There's probably other things that he could do, but it's just one of those things where it's like these guys to them are disposable. They are the guy, you know, the, the second both of those guys are gone, they replace them with a new younger, prettier face who they right. can put their sponsorship logos on. Right. Yeah. They don't blink as for as a second. Car is out on the track. That's all they really give a shit about. Yeah, which I also think also uh, circling back to it like way later, uh, also worth noting, I think part of what Cruz was doing in that moment was intentionally trying to trash both cars as a fuck you to the owner. Mm. It wasn't just trying to kill the guy, I don't think, because sure. they, yeah. they, they, they do say that they, um, uh, you know, he he's fucked both my cars or whatever, you know, because he's yeah. both of his drivers. Um, and there is a and moment where when, Duvall like argues with the owner about how he seems to not give a shit about his drivers. So, yeah, that, that definitely does connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it, it, it connects, I think, especially to because, again, I think Robert Town, who wrote Chinatown, is actually putting in some intelligent character stuff in here. Like, I like this detail of, um, you know, when he goes back to racing and Rooker isn't on the track and everything, it feels all wrong is how he talks mm -hmm. about it. And then when that after that bake. is when. <laughs> that's yeah. when he goes to Rooker and has this, you know, sort of scene where they, you know, sort of talk about their their feelings and get this moment where he says, look, you got to drive my car and not just for, you know, like sentimental reasons, even though ultimately that's, you know, what it is um, in the film. It's like. I need you to drive my car because I can't lose my sponsorships and I can't lose my family. I can't mm -hmm. lose my hat like you need to do all of these things. I'm in a financial an economic situation dictated by this industry. And as a result, you get Tom Cruise romantically driving his best friend's car and to win the race in his best friend's car yep. instead and with of the, his the own. coach that taught him everything that he knows and, and how to be a team yeah, player. And, and, and with a last minute engine sub in by the previous owner, like the whole team gets back, like they, they've had some hardships, but the whole team gets back together oh, for yeah. like this final race where, you know, he gets to overcome going through the crash that, you know, and, and that traumatic experience. And he gets to change up his, his methodology a little bit. I do love that the final gesture for victory is he always tries to pass me on the outside 
and then mm-hmm. literally he just passes him on the inside and he's like no he passed me on the inside uh, like I he says this in this dialogue <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great uh, yeah yeah I also so really and, like and they, the, they, uh, the setup to the return of Cole where like they see him as a ruthless driver because of what he did to the to the victor the victorious yeah. uh, teammate and so you have these interviews with I think are some real drivers as well and they're all just like yeah if he comes near me I'm gonna wreck him and and all of that stuff I found it interesting that they weren't concerned about like how dangerous of a driver he was they were just like yeah put him on the track so that I can destroy his car if he tries to destroy mine <laughs> Yeah, and I thought the buildup to the race um, was really strong, too. I really like the scene between Cruz and Duval where they talk about Buddy. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. The driver who who died. I think it's a, one of the best scenes in the film, yeah. which is... Or sorry. Oh, go ahead, JT. Just the lighting and staging of that is yeah. just so beautiful. Like, it mm-hmm. makes... Like, I think one... I mean, a funny tidbit about the scene and the barn stuff in general was I think part of the reason the but like they went over budget was they showed like Robert Town the barn and he's like no that's not what I wanted in the script <laughs> and they had to like redesign <laughs> that like I think once which is just a, a very funny detail there but just I don't know just especially like they're having this like heated conversation and it's just all around this just like covered up car it uh, I don't know it's passionate and intense and just like the perfect culmination of the Duval Cruz relationship just right there. Yeah. And he starts like kind of roughing yeah. him up a little bit around the car too, which I like just, it's a, a moment of kind of like an emotion he can't control. Cause he's bringing up his, the past driver and all of that. It's, it's a, it's a good dramatic scene. Yeah. And I, well, and I really like that they finally kind of throw the twist in where, you know, the entire time we've been told that, um, he killed the driver with a technical issue with the car, that it was a fault of his engineering right. that killed his driver, which is why he's so traumatized and didn't want to come back and build this car for another new young kid. Cause he, you know, and, but it's actually a slightly bit more, cause like, that's obviously a very simple idea. And I do like that they do throw a last minute kind of complication into it where it's like, it wasn't the technical issue that in order to save the driver's reputation, he basically just had them not he didn't let them investigate the car and just said which made them all assume it was a technical issue because it's very suspicious to be like yeah you can't investigate this crash just assume you know so everyone just assumes that it was the engineer's fault and actually it it was the driver because he had this extraordinary death drive thing that tom cruise has um in this room or cold trickle and the way that duval talks about it where he's just like he's so romantic about like you know the the things like there's the technical precision of my craft in the car that i do which we saw in that opening scene where he's talking about building the car but then it merges with this the spirit of something that can just do something unbelievable and could do things that don't make technical sense to me. And he was a driver like that. But in order to be a driver like that, you have to, you know, put in these risks that are going to get you killed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is what throws, throws him, throws him off in that moment. So I really like that they say that, you know, it wasn't his fault 
for building the car wrong. It was his fault for egging someone on into what was obviously a suicidal mission, which was to be the best driver. And he's like, that is what upsets him and what they're arguing about and why he's like, you know, if you get back in that car, you're going to die. And then you have, you know, Cole basically saying, I don't have anything else. This is the thing that gives my life meaning. And, yeah, he has that one uh, and it, great line where he's like, uh, I'm more afraid of being nothing than I am of being hurt, um, which you could right. say, you know, it, it's still a self-destructive attitude, but it, it's it's just it's a, a strong underlying passion he has that he can't get rid of. Well, and it's a real character psychology, yeah. which is like, yeah. you know, something that is was not present in Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not as strongly at all. No. <laughs> Yeah. So, again, it, it, it's all stuff that, you know, again, get, being given the broad sentimental style treatment that it is being given. I could see someone watching it and being like, yeah, this is still, you know, this is a little macho. It's still a little silly. But yeah. I, I do think that there there has been some thought and effort put into the way that these characters actually speak to each other and think and feel and make decisions. And in 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 ways like that, that do make the broader stuff for me just hit a little bit harder. Like when he finally does win that Daytona 500 and it's the big smile the huge guitar riffs playing as you know as him and Duval uh you know are are celebrating and he's like kissing Kidman and getting grease all over her face and you know Robert Duval is just stoked that he didn't kill another kid essentially <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. but, but but he also gets the great line you know there's nothing you can't do in a race car um, mm-hmm. And it has a double meaning of like, you know, there's nothing f- literally that Cole Trickle couldn't do in a race car, but also this idea that any, you know, w- men can use machines to make, you know, the unreal, you know, something that's that's possible as well. Yeah. You know, there's something broader happening there. Um, and I think that Duval and Cruz sell it and you know, they're they're both stars. Yeah. And then, I mean, you just get the it's one of my favorite endings. It just makes me so happy. Like I just get giddy inside when I see this freeze frame. Oh, the, 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 and yeah, it, the freeze frame. Yeah. Like he basically, it's just, uh, I think he says, do I got to walk your ass to victory lane? And he's like, walk, let's race. And then they do a foot race and it's the biggest smiles on both of these stars faces <laughs> I've ever seen in ev- every movie I've ever seen them in. Like they just look like they're having an absolute blast and it, uh, freeze frames on both of them racing with the big smile, in the in the position and then you get like the awesome soft rock you know uh guitar solo that you get from this time period and all of that and it's just uh it's electric <laughs> yeah it's yeah. so fun. no i i think it i think it ends really strong and if we're pivoting towards reductive rating around again this one this one gets the solid four for me i do prefer it um slightly to uh to Top Gun, mostly for a lot of the reasons that we've said, most of most of which actually is that you know Robert Town is a really great screenwriter, and mm-hmm. you know there is real stuff in this film in terms of dramatic stakes and character detail. I like the rivalry and friendship with Rooker. It's it's adorable, and watching him live his fear of like you know needing brain surgery and not being able to race and take care of his finances is is you know powerful stuff. And Robert Duvall being this old engineer teaching him, but dealing with the haunting of the previous person he saw that was super skilled like directly tying this sort of uh this spiritual suicidal drive to be the best with like this actual 
technical machine that he builds and everything. And then you throw in, you know, the love and the craft of the game, like the stuff from Color of Money, the way that it sort of tech fetish shoots the, the, the racing, even the romance with Kidman. It's still not like the strongest romantic stuff. It's still a little got a bit of a you know silly fantasy aspect to it where like he has the sexiest doctor on the planet and she is just swept up in his, you know, his need for speed, and, you know, life. like that kind of. Yeah, no, like that that kind of element is still very uh, kind of cheesy in a way. But I, I do think that Cruz and Kidman sell it way more oh, yeah. than he was with McGillis, who, again, was the least convincing part of the previous film. I don't even think it's entirely her fault. They were just hardly playing characters. And it was very clearly was an more excuse the to be like, yeah, not McGillis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, again, Tony doing the same thing. He just nails it. The big emotions of like flawed people who make the machines that they work on tick. And he just maximizes that to, you know, like the biggest extremes possible. You know, you have, uh, you know, he's so good at propulsive motion and making you feel it and controlling these, you know, images and visual detail that just turns into like nonstop in the racing sequences, especially it's just like so flash together these like the burning rubber and the grease and the oil and the tires screeching and all the amazing you know uh, 90s denim and the company sponsored logos versus like you know like kind of like the the dark reality of these characters killing themselves over those logos and things like that like all of that is 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 much more interesting um in this film and all of the stuff that you like about Top Gun is basically here other than maybe some of the intense homoeroticism, which is <laughs> not quite as taken to the levels that you could hope, even though, again, the, the Duval and Cruz stuff is still very sensitively drawn um, yeah. in a way that uh, that I appreciate. So, yeah, this just rides perfect line of genuinely rousing and sentimental um, but still finds room to, you know, have some the, some of the dark elements that Tony wanted to put in Top Gun. This feels like Tony, t- Tony, if he made Top Gun, but he was actually given the clout and the freedom that he wanted to make his preferred version of it. Um, yeah. I feel like that this is this is that film. So, yeah. And Tom, once again, we do, don't even have a chance because Tony's so good at what he does and so good at making you feel the death drive push of this. And, the, you know, uh, you, you sometimes don't even get a chance to talk about how Tom legitimately is just one of the greatest movie stars. Yeah, um, he is ever. And, and this, these two movies are <laughs> are both a showcase um, for him. So, you know, fuck but his face when he starts racing Rooker down that fucking hospital hallway and the boyishness of it yeah. versus like obviously the intense situation that they put themselves in where they might have fucking brain damage like those two things clashing up against one another there are very few actors I think who could make that um, as charming and not as dark as that stuff actually is and uh, Tom's one of them yeah 100% um yeah, I'm, I, I was crossed between the three and the four, but I think I'm going to go with the four. I do really like this. Hell yeah. uh, I, I just think it's it is all of the things that, um, you know, everything that I disliked about Top Gun, this is doing a little bit better. And so I think that's just one of the main reasons I latch onto it a little more. Um, I also like that the character has some more underlying issues that that kind of um that we discover going on with the film because with Top Gun, again, it's it's really just like, is he going to be the best kind of thing? It doesn't go that much farther than that. 
um, I like that this kind of has like his his uh, they they think about his self destruction and and things of that nature. So I, I really appreciate that, and it's got all the the Tony Scottisms that I love. I mean, I was I wanted to mention the opening that's very similar to other things I was mentioning, like the uh, with Top Gun. It's how they're preparing the the planes and all of that. With this, it's like people are getting out of their uh, trailer homes that are next to the track so that they can get their seats. And then there's, um, yeah, and then there's yeah. probably the crew that's there, also there's some lived there. in detail to like the actual NASCAR, like yeah. footage that he got. Like they very clearly, I mean, I, they, I think they did work with NASCAR to like get the, all the stuff that they, they needed to shoot this all for real. And mm-hmm. I think they said that they actually just set up Tony with whatever cameras he wanted and just let him shoot the Daytona 500 for a while. So some of the right. footage in the film is him just shooting the real crowds and the real stuff, you know, like you, yeah. you get the million of this world for sure yeah and so you get that real energy you get people screaming and you get the cars like driving past people and all of that but even in the beginning you get like just the sun rising and then the janitor sweeping up the seats before people arrive and and all of that and i just i absolutely love that um and i wanted to mention that we were just mentioning how this thing went over budget quite a bit and there's some really just funny details that go into that uh apparently simpson and bruckheimer spent four hundred thousand dollars to have a vacant storefront in their hotel converted into their private gym and then they put a large (laughs) sign reading days of thunder over it which is just so fucking crazy (laughs) so hollywood and then actually i think it even gets worse uh simpson also kept a closet full of uh, Donna Karan, if that's how you say it, dresses to offer the attractive women his assistants found on the beach and held private parties with friends like rapper uh, Tone Locke, who I actually I'm not aware of. But yeah, just so some of the things that when when they're saying they that's went Bruckheimer over budget, and Simpson, baby. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just when they went over budget, there were some absolutely dumbass shit that they were doing to, for that to happen. Um, and it does say here that it, it went over like double the budget to the point where they thought they'd have to make <laughs> at least 100 million to make their money back. So, <laughs> so they like it, it was just insane. Clearly, the Hollywood egos were uh, were driving that production a little bit. Um, but it still it still worked out, and you you know you feel the need for speed, and and I love the energy in this movie. It's propulsive. It's uh, it's it's very exciting, and um, and of course just well shot by Tony. So yeah, I, I I really do like this. I'm gonna give it a four. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go four as well. It just like this it calibrates the Bruckheimer Simpson Tony Scott collab like and refines it just a little bit more. So like definitely better than top gun and having that like having the bones of the script be something where you can actually like give a shit about the characters just makes the whole piece sing so much more Mm -hmm. and again i'm like just so impressed by tony's visual style here of just the way he can capture such beautiful light and motion like we mentioned it um earlier with the way that he shoots like the race but like there are times where like you'll see uh the other drivers like see uh Cruz's car in their like rear view mirror and it'll be like just a red little blur just like bolting around and the way that like uh Scott can capture like the intensity there in that moment but also make it just like something I don't know. So beautiful too. Uh, is yeah. extraordinarily impressive to me. And 
like one like final little detail I feel like I would really be remiss to not mention is that like Cruz's hair in this is so fucking sick. Like he the oh, yeah. volume, <laughs> the flow, shape, baby. like the flow, even after like getting out of I mean, obviously it's Hollywood movie magic, but like he's just had like a fucking crazy race. He pops off that helmet and it's just like, were you conditioning in the car? Like, Jesus Christ, man, that thing has bounce. Yeah, um, the power but, levels are unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and everything needs to be huge like that in the Tony verse, right? Like just mm-hmm. like no matter what, like everything feels that Even like Tom Kidman. Cruise's hair it feels picture perfect it feels like it's been just you know staged and constructed for just maximum impact on every level yep. and yeah sometimes I can see why that's too much for people they get exhausted by that or they feel like that maximization doesn't you know actually isn't saying much of anything but I am just totally swept up and overwhelmed by it and I do think that he found a better match uh, with this material specifically just because it is actually engaged with the idea of NASCAR as, as a spectacle sport. No, exactly. Because um, NASCAR so Tony, is Tony is going to give you the spectacle. Yeah, it's just, yeah. it's the big, like, it's it's nothing but, you have all these cars that are covered in sponsorships by all these, you know, billion dollar companies and all of that. People are getting hammered, screaming. It's nothing but cars going 300 miles an hour in a circle. I mean, you, you, you kind of have to have that, uh, a little bit of that superficial quality to it. Yeah, no, I I think he does a really good job because, again, you have the death drive stuff. You have the potential destruction of their bodies in these these fragile machine cages and the surgeries and the crashes and everything and how that rubs up against all the flashiness of the film and the stylistic spectacle of money that gathers around the this intensity because it's just so amazing to watch. And then that also helps you get involved in the passion of. Duval and Cruz, who are the characters who feel that the most, right? Like they mm-hmm. are almost divorced from the machinery and divorced from the money. There is something happening there emotionally that is driving this. And to them, yeah. they're like, that's what people are here to see. Like the cars are great. I, you know, Duval loves his car, but they're all designed to be the same for a reason. And, uh, you know, everyone is there to watch these fucking crazy psychos who are willing to put their bodies on the line for entertainment. And yeah, that, I think that that material very much mat- matches the the Scott uh, overemphasized, beautiful commercial music video images and the vibe and the cruise power. So, yeah, your mileage may vary depending on how much macho romantic melodrama <laughs> Uh, works for you or how much you buy into it but if you can accept that that's what this movie is and on some level that that's what Top Gun is and you can just be you know let the movie magic wash over you I think uh, I think these are good movies yeah Um, both of them Um, and uh, hopefully with the resurgence of people's interest in Top Gun and people talking about a new Top Gun which I am interested in I I thought Tron was was decent I thought Oblivion was okay yeah um I'm curious what this Kaczynski guy does with with a new one, um, even though his because you saw his last movie, right, Jamie, the that macho weepy he did about the forest firefighters, only the brave. Yeah, that's I think that's my favorite movie of his. I really liked that one. Yeah, I thought I, I, I think so, too. I think there's a lots lots of uh, process and brotherhood and melodrama detail in that film, even involving like things like drug addiction and stuff. So I'm I'm curious if uh, you know I don't know if he'll have be able to match the the Tony style. Well, yeah, because um, Tony has like d- a little bit of even though he's like very commercial and and very beautiful, there is like a little bit of grit that I like from Tony, just the texture. And I do mm-hmm. think that mm-hmm. Kosinski is that his name. Um, yeah, that he's a little he, slick. Yeah, he's a little slick. And I think that works for his styles in the movies I've seen him in. And, and they work or what he's doing. But it's just that with uh, 
Top Gun, I might miss a little bit of that like uh, gritty texture that Tony Scott movies have. We'll see. Yeah. But I like the idea of bringing some uh, legitimate macho uh, melodrama because that's what we've been talking about a little bit in both of these films. And, uh, you know, you don't you don't always uh, see that kind of sincerity brought to the screen in that way anymore with, yeah. you know, without a little ironic joke thrown in a, a, a knowing. Yeah, this is silly, isn't it? It's like, no, 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 just to be the thing. I'm curious, yeah, I'm curious <laughs> yeah. if they're going to like do that with with the new Top Gun and how they're going to deal with the propaganda aspect of it um just because now that's far more unpopular than it was in the <laughs> 80s so it's yeah I, i'm very curious uh, what the narrative is going to be like we shall see yeah um but yeah and, and until then i think that's going to wrap it up for uh this week uh rubbin is racing everyone hell yeah uh, <laughs> that was that that was a uh, top gun 1986 and um days of thunder 1990 thanks so much uh jt for for joining us and talking about these um these films with us if you've got anything uh to plug while you're here this is where we uh usually have the guests do that uh yeah sure i mean thank you boys for having me on it was a pleasure uh tom and tony oh two two fucking great guys i mean well oh yeah Tom, maybe less great guy, like off, <laughs> off, off camera, but I don't want to. Still sick have... though. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he's still putting his life on the line for our entertainment, which I will respect. Exactly. But there are a certain amount of Scientology slaves that he has that I will wonder when that number hits a certain point. I'm gonna, you know, there's gonna be a, a you know, a balance that's gonna have to be done. There. Yeah, I have yeah. seen when him that do man that dies, speech they're... where he salutes uh, Hubbard, and it is scary as all <laughs> yeah. hell, but uh, still an awesome movie star. <laughs> um, yeah, but in terms of plugs, well, I mean, you can always find me on Twitter at a uh, tall boy thin legs. Uh, listen to old episodes of Extended Clip, even if I won't see a yes. fucking dime from that anymore. Um, and also, uh, like, I I make movies, too. I mean, I'm trying to get back into that and make, uh, I don't know, I have another short in the works I would like to make this year. Sick. But uh, I have one film, uh, True Grit Live, um, on YouTube, if you want to check that out, I believe the YouTube yeah. channel channel is um, Nico JT Worldwide. So hey, why not? Yeah, absolutely. Hell I'll yeah. check that out. Yeah, and go and go follow JT uh, Tall Boy Thin Legs mm-hmm. Twitter Letterboxd. He's always talking about movies, cracking jokes. Worth the worth the check out. Make sure to do that uh, for our listeners. We're going to be back in um, one week's time, where. Uh, we are oh my god we are switching it up uh we are (laughs) going to be talking about the patron voted episode which i'm sure most people know by now but if you are a patron of the show uh we let you guys uh send us a bunch of double features you want us to do and then we put the four most upvoted double features into a poll and let you guys vote on the films that we cover we've done it uh quite a few times now we've had a couple big winners but this is an episode that has been nominated a bunch of times and always placed number two and it finally won uh, our, our patron Kian was, uh, you know, you got to respect the passion. You got to respect the hustle. He knew it was his time. He put it in. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about one dragon in from, uh, I believe 1967. And then we're going to be talking about a touch of Zen from 1971. Ooh. Jamie's going to have to watch a three hour movie. There we're going to we be go. talking about some wuxia films. We're going to be getting spiritual. We're going to have a great time doing that. And then in two weeks time, I don't 
no. <laughs> we are uh, deciding between two different episodes right now. So we are going to find out exactly what that's going to be, but it will be in the description of uh, next week's episode for sure. So you guys will have time to catch up whenever uh, you do that. And you know what? Yeah. Fuck, we forgot to we forgot to mention it. So, Jamie, if you could uh, briefly serenade people on their way out of this episode to uh, the last note of freedom. See if you can find that on YouTube. I wanted I, 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 I totally forgot to bring up the, the Hans Zimmer and Billy Idol wrote a song together. And it's the corniest shit you've ever fucking heard in your okay. life. About the, thought, the rising up the burning man. I thought you were asking me to sing the song right now as we go out. I'm like, dude, I did not prepare that. I don't know the song. You did not rehearse for that. No, I was just saying I was talking to future Jamie who's editing this episode. Um, I like to I do that sometimes. I was like, shit, I'm about to do this let's let's go but yes so people go check look it up play it the lyrics are amazing and hilarious and they are the credit song for days of thunder and they get me pumped up so forgot to mention it but jamie will now play it for you guys Uh, but yeah that'll be it for everything this week uh thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy